Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, crappy quiz and a slight tangent. World Cup B is growing on me. (laughs) (laughs) As a name. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Alright, Tuesday morning, you're very welcome along to OTBAM. It's Jerry Gilroy, I'm here with you all the way through until 10 o'clock this morning, kind of. Shane's here too, Shane. How are you? Good morning. Calm's also here. Sir, Shane, good morning. Yeah. Uh, the England captain gets away with a lot of stuff, doesn't he? That, sorry, Harry Kane is increasingly a disgrace. Ooh. Now, when it, come, when it comes to that element of his game, he's what are you going to do when he signs from Man United? you be like, yeah, the dark arts, what a, he's got a winner's mentality. Him and Casemiro are exactly what this club needs. I don't think any, any fan of, of any team, when, they're, when there's a player on the team, like say Anthony for Manchester goes down easily, you're just looking at him going, get up, come on. So uh, people waking up who went to bed early? I wouldn't have seen it. You might not have seen this yet. Yeah. I'm sure you've all seen it. But anyway, if you haven't, what happened? Big result for, for Everton, I would say. Last minute equaliser for Michael Keane. An absolute thunderbolt from the blue to rescue a point for Sean Dyche and co. Uh, both teams down to 10 men. Lucas Mora sent off late for uh, Spurs. But the uh, the, yeah, the incident that kind of got everyone talking was Adelaide de Curry getting sent off for Everton. Harry Kane... Um, I think it was, look, the sending off was probably correct in that to Curry's, not scratched his face, but had his, a claw out on Harry Kane's face. But to say he, oh, he overdid it with the reaction would be putting it there's, slightly mildly. There's um, a potential contact with the eye area. Yeah, that, that probably... If you come into work and stick your finger in my eye, I am rolling around the floor. You're not I am, I am rolling around the floor theatrically going, oh no, it's the end of the world. Someone stuck their finger in my eye. But what if there's like 70,000 or not, maybe 40,000 people watching you? Begging for my blood. Maybe, yeah. The reaction would depend on who's watching. It would. For so, sure. There, uh, if it was just the two of you. More people watching more theatrics. I think, look, I, he definitely goes down far too easy. The fact that he's lying on the ground prone is, uh, I think, um, Danny Murphy's called it embarrassing. He was doing the, the radio commentary. And the, I don't know who's doing the TV commentary, the co com I didn't recognise the voice. No, neither. Um, but they, uh, they uh, recognise immediately that uh, DeCorey's in, in trouble, but also there's kind of a silence where it's like, not sure you're supposed to be going down like that. Mm. The reaction from Sean Dyche is priceless. And also, Seamus Coleman making sure that everybody's aware that uh, you can't be doing that. No. <laughs> um, I, I think Jimmy Carragher's reaction after the match was, was, like he summed it up, he was like, if my kid was playing a match and he go back into the car after the game, I'd say to him, Why, what were you doing there? Like, if he did what Harry Kane did. And I think that, that sums it up. If, any of, if, we, if we had kids at a match at under 10 level and they went down that easily because they watched Harry Kane maybe on TV and saw him do it yeah but like, if, if Harry Kane hadn't gone down and DeCorey hadn't been sent off and you know scores the penalty 10 minutes later miraculously by the way miraculously Harry Kane was okay uh, can I just say Harry Kane was fine he didn't need hospital treatment he got up and, and scored a penalty 10 minutes later a beautiful penalty I have to say past Jordan Pickford but um, it just leaves a bad taste there's no point talking about diving in football for too long because it's not going to go away anytime soon but it's a bit of a, um, and it's it's even sometimes the diving I I understand almost in a weird way. It's it's when you get tapped and you o- you overstate the 
physical contact that has been uh, done on you? It was a nasty enough game. Um, in the first half, a ball gets chipped into the penalty area. Everton are attacking, and Coleman kind of goes down and has like screaming at the referee. And then about two minutes later, Coleman has one of those tackles where um, I can't actually remember who. Oh, Perisic! It's um, he catches Perisic on the, the front of the football boot around the metatarsal area, and it's a hard old tackle. Yeah, and Perisic, but it's it's not even a booking. It could definitely have been a booking, and there are the commentators like oh it's definitely not it doesn't rise to the level of a red card because it's not high enough mm. hold my beer says the uh, the more challenge in the second half is like oh that's that's what a red card challenge looks Ooh, like that was that was a red red card I really, I really appreciate that the whole um, scenario it was just such an acceptable and accepted red card by everyone no it's nice to see actually he came in way too late straight away the ref pulls out the red Morris devastated walks off done wouldn't you love to see more of that? I'm very grateful that the Decore Kane incident happened right next to the managers. That was oh, fantastic theatre. Adds to it. Very grateful it? that it was right there. And then, as Jared already said, Sean Dyche and Seamus Coleman laying into Harry. Well done, Harry. Well done. Sean says, Harry Kane, by the way, doesn't flinch. Does not flinch. No. And he's right beside him. The other thing as well, I was thinking. So you desperately want him to sign for Manchester United to, to bring such shithousery no. to Old Trafford? No, I uh, I get annoyed at the uh, favourable treatment that Harry Kane gets in the British media, but it did lead me to think, what would we say if Seamus Coleman did the same thing? How would we react to it? How would we be talking about it today? Now, Shane, you'll say to me, Seamus Coleman would never call him, he would never do that. But if Harry Kane stays on his feet and reacts as you imagine he would have based on what Decore actually did, would Decore have been sent off? Well, I think if Harry Kane reacts the way um, most people react, he's given Decore a dig and then he's getting sent off. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's like a, he is operating at a higher level than us mere mortals who you know have not lived through this and don't really know what we would do when his job is to cheat because the cheating has been allowed. I, I think to Shane's point, like there's no point in talking about diving in football anymore because the, the game is gone. Yeah, that, we're way beyond that. And, and so therefore the rules of engagement are if he doesn't go down, like say... Say Conte was still there, right? And he didn't go down. What is Conte saying to him afterwards? Yeah, not, street, not street smart. You should have got this guy sent off. We're not wise We would have won that game. We're too naive. Qualification for the Champions League is worth between 40 to 60 million to this football club. What are you doing? This was labelled as Mercio Pochettino's Tottenham. It, it was too green. It was the same amount of contact. It was a year, remember Dar- years ago, Tierney McCann went down under Darren Hughes's little tap on the head, tapped him on the head, and then he went down. Uh, like he, in fairness, Decore has his fingers in his face. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, if oh, you, yeah. If, honestly, if you are putting fingers in the face, you're getting sent off. It was a complete red card. It was a total red card. But it got a bit existential. It was like when Macaulay Culkin wears the Macaulay Culkin t-shirt, right? Because the first reaction is Harry King goes down easy. Mm. And then everybody here in this country is like, ah, oh, Harry Kane is so ridiculous. Like, and nobody will have a word, bad word to say about him in England. And even on commentary, which, by the way, was Andy Hinchcliffe. All right. His co-commentator. You know, they didn't relay into Harry. You know, it was kind of like, well, that's a red card all day. And then you're thinking, well, if it's the other way around, DeCorey would have got it. Mm. But then I'm thinking, well, we're all saying in this, in this country, like, oh, of course, Kane gets favourable treatment. So now we're, we're honing in on Kane. Well, sorry, sorry. Uh, we all remember Alan Shearer literally kicked the head off Neil Lennon one time. And, and nothing happened because he was the England captain. He, he was like, that was it. They're on the sideline. Lennon's face is there on the sideline. And next thing it's like... It, Back into They're the untouchable. Left. Back into the left. Yeah, you, you get there are certain super bonus points for being the England captain, and um, Harry Kane is aware of this, but so is everybody who plays against him. 
and uh, the game stay the game. I, I, it is interesting that at least there are some people uh, in the English football media saying this is unacceptable, but nothing's going to change, is it? Is there anything going to change? We've no. pissed off. We've pissed off Bobby Dwyer straight off the bat here. Says the United fan, this happens to Bruno and he's in hospital. I mean, yeah, and United fans would would say when if if the, Bruno does this, and by the way, he has done this, like gone down very easily. Like it, you're just like get up. Like as a United fan, I, I I would hate to see Bruno Fernandes do that. I think Spurs fans would hate to see Harry Kane go down the way he went down last night. It's just like getting trying to get a player sent off. You know, I understand that. Like the, there is clearly an advantage for Tottenham last night if Takuri goes off, but you still have ethics, don't you? Yourself, do you want to look back on your career and have been that player? Uh, no, these these are footballers who made it to the highest level, Shane. That's what true. Part of part of the thing that separates them is their ability to practice repeatedly and uh, do do good quality practice. But then the other thing is this killer mentality, and that's what all of all of culture elevates above everything else is kill or be killed. Right? Nobody will blame Kane for going down within football. It's only us on the outside looking in. All his teammates say fair play for going down there, fair play for getting him sent off. He looks like an idiot. He actually looks like an idiot. No one's, no one's going to say that to him. But then he got up and scored what should have been the winner. And everybody was like, oh, what a night Harry Kane had, you know? Managed to uh, ignore the controversy, park it all, and still lead Spurs back into the Champions League. Now, they are back in the Champions League places, but it's looking a bit hairy for them at the moment. Bro, Bobby Dwyer, you count for all but three of our live comments so far. I don't think he went to bed. Oh, uh, Bob's telling me it's uh, Don Goodman was on Co-Coms. Yeah, okay, it was one or the other. Google tells me it was uh, Andy Hinchcliffe. Uh, but it was. It was ended up being a great game and Michael Keane was central to everything. Oh. Gave away the penalty, was on the wrong end of the Lucas Moore challenge and then that goal, that shot at the end. Michael Keane was like Forrest Gump, you know, and he has the photographs with all the presidents and the popes and he's everywhere all at once and he's been in every single world war. There's also an amazing That's, tackle in the first half that prevents a goal. Yeah, yeah, he was just, he was all over the place. Like that, that, and that, the strike, you can kind of hear some Everton fans at the end is like, shoot. And he eventually... He did, yeah. He does shoot. And Pinged like, it straight in. Ah, ridiculous. You never see that, you know, when you see the fans shoot or screaming for a shot, last minute. Players rarely do it, but um, he just let one go, let one rip. He fancied himself and um, what a strike. I mean, that point could be, because that takes him up to, what, 15th in the table? For Everton at the moment, when you, when you yes. see what West Ham won at the weekend, uh, Forrest won as well. Like a lot of the teams, Drew, sorry, picked up a point. Like so, a lot of the teams around them picked up points at the weekend. So it was kind of crucial that Everton, Sean Dyche got something on the board. Um, so I think that 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 point, who knows what it's going to mean at the end of the season? But it could and be that important. underdog couple that just keeps on giving Tottenham Hotspur in fourth place reunited again. Back in, they just can't keep their hands off each other. Twenty twenty two, twenty three. Spurs are fourth again after that one point display. But and then you had John Duggan, resident Tottenham fan. Given out on Twitter last night, what's this all about? Well, that's a point to Goodison. Uh, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Okay, but they're not really for it, are they? I mean, oh yeah, it says here. Yeah, it does say there. <laughs> but everybody's games in hand. United have two games in hand over them, all right? Yeah, yeah. they do. Yeah, um, would, would you rather your games in hand or your points? No, huh? The famous question. I also love how football fans never forget. Human uh, Son was getting tortured by the Everton fans last night for for the tackle on Andre Gomez's ankle four years ago. I was like, why oh, is he yeah. getting such a hard time? I looked it up on yeah. Twitter and I was like, or uh, on Google. And uh, it was like, yeah. He, I, was really looking that's why. I was really looking forward to this game, Everton-Tottenham at Goodison. A few years ago, this was 6-2, I think, the Spurs. And Son wreaked havoc. I was really, really hoping for a high-scoring Monday night game. Uh, but Lucas Mora, that's probably, arguably going to be one of his last contributions for Spurs. I could see him leaving this summer. Mm. The man who got them to the Champions League final with that winner against Ajax. 
that's the way it ends potentially or one of his last games he's, he's really fallen off the radar but like Spurs I was, sorry, I was looking at it last night and when it was one all and Everton were really pushing for that winner I think if the game had gone on for another five minutes mm. Bobby Dwyer would be even more exercised in the comments I was watching this thinking if I was Harry Kane I'd move I'd move this summer yeah because um, where is this going well who knows get a, get a good manager in get a world class manager in who manages they've the had world class managers no, they didn't. Uh, well, sorry, they did in, in Conte, yeah, but Mourinho was not a world-class manager by the time he was there. Let's not get into this again, because it's a, it's a, he was past it. He's been washed up. He was clearly washed up after his uh, last stint at Chelsea. If Brighton win tonight, they'll go on to 46 points, which is four points behind uh, Spurs in fourth. Are Brighton going to catch Spurs? Are Brighton going to finish above Spurs by the end of the season? So... Brighton have three games in hand on Spurs and they're seven points behind. So obviously they need to go on a great run of form mm. to take them past Spurs. Um, and they have a slightly better goal difference which will obviously improve if they were to get to get up to that. You so have to you laugh at Roberto De Zerbi getting linked with the Chelsea job now as well. Like, it's like, come on. Do you think he's going to, honestly, do exactly what Graham Potter did and fall into that trap? Fall into the trap of making 13 million in, uh, in, in, in a payoff and yeah, but 7 million in the seven months that you were there? But do they, you get a certain amount of money, those lads, and then you're like, oh, that, I've, I've made it now. I don't, you know, my kids don't have to work necessarily. Not sure that's how human greed works. Shane. No, but but it's also yeah. Do I think the lessons of human history would suggest otherwise. They like being in football too, though. Do you know, they want to be relevant and talked about. Do you know, they, they, once they see their names come out of the newspapers, they're like, well, I'd like to get back there. Potter's going to be linked with every job now for the next mm. period of time. It's going to be the new Sam Allardyce for a while. Possibly. I mean, he should. I, 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 if I was him, I would just move to Ibiza and uh, have the crack. With his thirteen million pounds, which is a part of what he's received. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Does he get it all in one go, or do they just keep paying him for a period of time? So um, that'll be the case for Brendan Rodgers. There was a suggestion that he had already made six or seven million in the period that he was there. I don't know. Is that possible? And then you forget that they paid twenty-two million to sign him from Brighton. Yeah. That can't be right. It's the most Can expensive I, manager in football history. That can't be This is like, well, oh my God. 10 million to get rid of Tuchel as well. Imagine like, being an agent and Chelsea phone. You're like, yes, I will take your call. Yeah. Can, can I meet you now? I can meet you now. Well, the guys on Sky last night were making the point that I'd say Graham Potter's probably relieved. Like when he first was told you are gone from the job, there was probably a sense of relief because that's, a, that's batshit crazy. When you have 34 players, you know, to deal with, egos, how do you pick a team there? I think he's probably sitting home now going, yeah, that was that was a bit mad. The sooner I get out of there, the better, probably for my own reputation. Like right now, his reputation isn't great, but that's going to recover. You know. You know what this whole episode has really reminded everyone that the Chelsea situation is so entertaining this season because mm. I don't think we actually really honed in on it until Graham Potter lost his job. But if you look at it now, like all you know, it's all coming out now. Twenty four hours later. First of all, shout out to Bruno Salter managing his first ever game of football tonight against Liverpool. And then next week against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Fantastic. Also, the report in The Guardian this morning that Chelsea have so many first-team players that they all can't get dressed at the same time in the same dressing room because there's no space. There's 34 of them in total. <laughs> £600 million spent. Seven months later, Potter's gone into a five-year contract. Amazing. And now you have the reported wish list of the Chelsea bosses. Julian Nagelsmann, number one. Maurizio Pochettino coming in second. Pochettino has to go back to Spurs, doesn't he? Mm. No, he's Sporting not Spurs. Spurs said no. Ruman Amaram is third. Eintracht Frankfurt boss Oliver Glasner, the reigning Europa League champions in fourth. And Luis Enrique is fifth choice. Not a bad shortlist. No. Not a bad shortlist. The doubts of Nagelsmann, 35, possibly too young for this. Right off the bat, Bayern, Bayern as well. And he doesn't want to take the job until the summer. Yeah. Um, I think Nagelsmann 
would be a very, very interesting appointment to Chelsea. I think the ego is strong enough for him. He's also he's worked enough with personality. The, he's worked with the hierarchy in the exactly. past. Exactly. The Chelsea sporting director, Lawrence Stewart, and the technical director, Christopher Vivell. That's going to be important. And RB Leipzig. Here's what's going on between now and 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, it is 7.45. Got the power rankings at five past eight with Tommy Rooney. David Brady's going to join us to look back on the league and what it means for Mayo. And, you know, um, uh, sometimes Mayo have won the league and been beaten by Roscommon the next week uh, or the next game. Sports news. Uh, we'll call at um, 8.50. Neda Manua is going to join us at 8.55. And then Matt Williams is going to preview uh, Leinster, Leicester at the weekend. And we'll uh, bring you some Pat thoughts at around about half past nine this morning. Back page headline on the sun is the 42-year-old virgin, and that's to your point, Colm. Never picked a game in his life, never picked a team before for a match. Bruno Salter, who's, um, you would say it's a baptism of fire, having to go up against Liverpool and then also happened to go up against Real Madrid. Like, it's really, str- I don't know, do they understand? Rookie Blues, Salter's in at the deep end. Was there, is there any hope that he beats Real Madrid in a way that Potter couldn't have like uh, well he worked with Potter at Brighton so he's learned off Potter and maybe he's learned in what not to do Nagelsmann top of the list for Chelsea is the headline on the back of the Herald there for you a cane storm and it's a picture of you know it's a very it's like, well, looks bad like, in the still doesn't yeah, it yeah he's got his fingers in his eyes what do you do what's all this nonsense you're talking about why wouldn't he go down well, like he was shot no it was definitely a red card but I think the way he went down was, was exactly as you say like, like he was shot and he wasn't shot just a claw in the face. Uh, Nagelsmann, top five strong candidate list for Chelsea. They're saying they're going to go through proper due process. And the, I mean, the list of people that they uh, have potentially. Uh, wake up before we Diogo. Man United versus Brentford. It's a big game tonight for Man United. Now, their home form has Earlier. been excellent, so it's no big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Big news in the rugby world. Josh van der Fleer out of the game against uh, Leicester on Friday night. Um We'll have tickets to give away for that later on in the week, by the way. I'm looking forward to the Villa Leicester game, I have to say. I've got, I've got, I've got, this is the most Colin Buhig thing I'm ever going to say, right? But I'm going to say it. Uh, three players, and this is one for the viewers as well, only three players have hit double figures for goals in each of the last three Premier League seasons. Kane Salah. Correct, correct. Jamie Vardy. No. The third one is why, is why I'm asking this, because I was quite surprised. Ollie Watkins. And Acho. Ollie Watkins. Three, uh, Kane Salah and Ollie Watkins, double figures the last three seasons. That's pretty impressive by Ollie. He scored in his last six away games, Watkins. Sure. Why don't you talk about Aston Villa? Well, you don't want to tempt fate, uh, you know. A, a lifetime unbelievable. Of, a lifetime of uh, having your hopes dashed. They've got the momentum now, Jared, after the after the weekend, for sure. Tim Sherwood, Alex McLeish, David O'Leary, Remy Gard, Jared Houllier. I had forgotten about Remy. Do you remember Remy? Do you remember when Dwight York went on Sky Sports to complain about Remy Gard being appointed and that he should be appointed instead? I don't know why I remember his name. I mean, he might have been right in the end. Great history at Villa. In the end, he might have been right. I had actually blanked Remy. I had high hopes that, you know, that we were going to somehow moneyball the French transfer market. That's it. Was Camoli not the director of football? Mm. The. That um, that that Leicester Villa game in February doesn't seem long ago whatsoever. Four two Leicester, like a cracking game, mm. and Rogers is on a bit of a high. Like, we're one of results. those games where if Villa had won, they would actually we'd be like, oh, could they do? Could, could they catch Paris? But um, there was just a run there where things got away from them a little bit, and now they're back and they look good. Well, what's the what's the ceiling? What's the ceiling this season for them? Where, where can they finish? Like seventh or eighth? Yeah, like you. you do you want Europa Conference League if you're an Aston Villa? Well, I think if, if you have this manager, you want European football because he always wins the trophies that he's in or reaches, you know, 
Turns out a lot of stages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it, uh, that's good. To, you, you've got to get a squad built for competing on two fronts, and I like. Is Unai Emery showing up as Steven Gerrard, or is it simply a case that Emery is one of the best coaches in Europe? I, I think both. Like one hundred percent, Gerrard was not the was not the answer. In other words, was Gerrard that bad? Yeah. Like, do you think? Gerrard was oh, point like, obviously, that. yeah. He won the league at Rangers. Yeah, I was going to say anyone. Like, I could probably win the league at Rangers. He couldn't. They hadn't won the league in ten years. I know, but well, maybe well, you could, Shane. I don't know. Didn't they waves? You know, didn't they get Celtic at a time when they were in transition in between, like having a they were going for ten in a row, really good manager, and then having a really good manager, and then they had Neil Lennon back for a while. Is that what happened? Well, if you're Where saying uh, they're in transition and they were between good managers, but Shane just said anyone could win the Scottish Premiership. Well, well no, I no, think no, sorry, there's a significant difference yeah. between Ange. And uh, Celtic fans probably don't uh, like Brendan Rodgers, but he was an, an excellent manager. Oh, yes. And uh, there's, a, there's a step down to Neil Lennon, so it goes high, low, high. And in the middle of that, Stephen Gerrard comes in and wins the league. Yeah. But did Stephen Gerrard really win the league? Yeah. I know, we, we had Tom English on, he's like, oh, hang on a second now, you've got to give Stephen Gerrard some credit for that. Some. But Ange Postacoglu was a much better manager than Stephen Gerrard, and there's no, there's no arguing that, you know. So uh, Gerrard certainly had a, a good coaching team around him, I think, which helped. Yeah. No, I just feel there's a lack of love uh, towards Aston Villa on the show. We've two people on Team Off the Ball to do this, and we don't hear much of them. You yeah, know? yeah. You should Make be excited. This was a, and didn't uh, John McGinn also hit the crossbar along with scoring a screamer against Chelsea? Good time to be a Villa fan. You know, they just want to play it down. Are Aston Villa fans like Kerry fans? Mm-hmm. I think there's a slight difference there, and that Kerry win all Ireland every three years. That's true. Yeah, the success rate levels aren't there, but the, the, the uh, fan Aston Villa base. not winning a trophy every three years, playing it down. You know. They won in Europe in the 80s. I mean, look, it's, a, it's, it's been a while, yeah? Yeah. Um, oh, I think you should be uh, proud of your boys. I had an opinion on fans as well that I wanted to share. Um, so I was at Croke Park at the weekend and uh, had an interesting experience. Um, certain one of the lads from Roscommon. I didn't come here, but sure. Look, we had a, some, uh, shall we say, rowdy Mayo fans around us who... Every time Shin Walsh got near the ball, it was like, ah, oh, Dublin footballer, he's Dublin footballer, he's Dublin footballer. But I mean to the extent that, like, they, they didn't stop saying it. Um, and then some unsavoury words towards some of the goal players when they would miss shots and every point and every moment, especially, I think Comer had the shot that was eventually put wide by the Hawkeye and um, the Mayo fans were up, you know, in the face of the Galway lads. And the Galway people around me, I have to say, behaved impeccably. Like, I don't know if I could have bit my tongue, but um, they sat there in quiet... Solitude. Um, so I'm not saying Mayo fans are any worse than, than any other fans in the country because every single county in Ireland has annoying fans, including my own. But I'd interested in people's opinions as to who you think the, the, the most annoying, let's say, GA fans are in the country. Because it's only when you're out, out and about in matches that you witness some of this behaviour and you're like, Jesus, that's annoying. You know, I don't know how people bite their tongue. I found uh, I find the Waterford hurling masses quite objective. Objective, not too bad. Not uh, not too polarizing or too. Uh, I I think they understand a good game of hurling. Okay, but I would also come on. You're being soft here. You're naming why, the good fans. Why, I would also say this to you, Shane. Why are you bringing Waterford every up? Every set of fans, every set of fans ever in any sport, they're all awful because they're all uh, massively biased towards their own team. Isn't, they there can't be objective. isn't there something worse about the GA fans who are actually going to see the people that they're abusing in person like 
really soon. Mm. They have a recognisable voice and they're they're giving their their own club men in some instances abuse. I find that a little bit like what well, he knows he can hear you, you know? Like you're <laughs> you're saying really bad things about this person who you've watched grow from like you know, underage now to, to blossoming to the point where he's dedicating his entire life to do this and you're no like money ah. essentially yeah yeah why did you bring up Waterford when he brings up Mayo is that like a you know because if, if we were if, this, if if you were trying to sell us something we'd be like oh he's selling us Waterford here yeah well I would say, I, say I said do you need to be careful yesterday. here I think everybody just needs to know Colin obviously he is a cork man you can tell from his accent but yeah. he's married into Waterfordness and now uh, see. Shane asked the question who are the most annoying GA fans in the country and Colin immediately Starts to go. So who the, who's the least annoying? Least annoying. Well, but did you mean the least annoying? Yes. Did you? Yeah. You said objective. The question, or objectionable. Is there anyone like who's the worst? Or what? What was the question actually? You're, what was you're, your question? You're never getting. You're never getting to the in-laws again. In, in, people, to, in people's experiences, who have they, they found? Because okay. I would say the Dublin GA fans at, at, at away league matches that I have met have huh. been have been very uh, knowledgeable and yeah. quite nice. Yes. You know, that's so what that, I meant. So that, yeah, but but I was talking about the other the other side. Well, I, would, I didn't. I see. I didn't go there. Like that's just that's what I do. You know, I try to get the positivity and everything. Well, I want and you I to was go. Like, well, 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 who are nice fans? Well, you're a Cork fan, so like, undoubtedly you'd have come across Kerry fans in their in their pomp. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I find it fascinating. I was at the All Ireland final uh, last year, the football, and I just I, I do find it fascinating what happens to human beings when the whistle goes. Well, see, so, so, I, I, like it, it's just the worst than people for. In that instance, seventy plus minutes, you know, it's just like all impartiality is gone, all graces, all manners, just gone. You're just watching these people turn animalistic. I, I love when a team when a play when a team it wins. If you can win and lose with honour, I, I was at the Mon and Dublin match last year in the league where Mon obviously get the last bit of point to relegate Dublin and stayed up stay up themselves, and the Dublin fans around us literally to a man were shaking hands with Mon fans. Well done, well done. You know, I didn't see that between the Mayo and Galway fans the weekend. That's uh, uh, Chris has commented: top five most annoying fans in order: uh, fifth Dublin, fourth Mayo, <laughs> third Dublin, second Armagh, and first Mayo. So Mayo have appeared in his top five twice, and Dublin also twice. And Armagh have made. Yeah, I can vouch that. for that, Chris. Uh, I was at Cork Dublin Crow Park in football 2019. Dublin hammered Cork. Cork actually hung in there till about early the first half an hour anyway. It was it was most patronising last five minutes of the game I've ever been to. Like, oh, you're not bad, lads. You're not bad. Keep it up. You're not bad. It's the patronise. It's patro- Yeah, patronising is the word I think for some fans. Um, this is obviously a minority in in any county, one hundred percent. But there's a trend there, and there should be a scientific study done into it. I think. I oh, know. Let's let's generalise wildly. Kilkenny are arrogant. Oof. But you see, I, I guess that that is that is again a psych- psychological thing. Kilkenny are so used to winning, and Kerry are so used to winning that. Oh, of course their fans are going to be a little bit arrogant. That's, that's just, it's nature and nurture. They, they have to be arrogant because they, they're, they're so successful. Yeah. I mean, if, if Monaghan had yeah. that many All-Irelands, I'd probably be, be a little bit arrogant going to matches myself. But they don't, so I'm not. Kieran O'Leary, as a Cork man, I find Cork fans a bit annoying, to be fair. P174, Clare fans. Can people explain why? Don't just name the fans, explain to us. Don't get us in trouble now. But like a reason for this, like, because we're just naming counties out there nine. But why, like, give us examples. I'd like to read those. That'd be good. Yeah, it's just a phenomenon. I notice at matches like it's Mayo and Roscommon are going are, are going head to head this weekend, and I'm pretty sure those two sets of fans don't like each other. Ge- and I'm speaking in generalities again here, but there's two counties that's you know, well, they they obviously there's a, a town that straddles the border. Mm. I think parts of the Mayo Roscommon it, it's much more keenly felt than others, right? 
Jer showing his experience, say nothing and keep saying it. David, I'm interested from a Kildare perspective. Well, it's difficult because, you know, uh, a lot of times no one cares about you. It's like you, I guess, Shane, a little bit, except you've obviously had some success. So, you know, I presume the Tyrone fans hate the Monaghan fans. And I presume the Monaghan fans hate the Tyrone fans and the Armagh fans. Yeah. Everybody has has their uh, issues with Tyrone for whatever reason. I don't know. Tyrone's an island, you know. Well, they call it the island sometimes, you know, that they, they, there is that siege mentality. But again, not putting them down. Maybe that's why they're so good and have been so good. For all Ireland's tells a tale. Um so I, I, there's something in it there's something in it and, and look there are lovely fans from every single county but I'm just wondering what the higher they all have lovely bottom shame lovely. is that what you're saying yeah but, but a little, little, little bit of father Ted there but, but I think there are percentages in terms of the annoying fans Some and you're saying Mayo are at the top well that's your experience in the weekend certainly at the weekend of the four counties that were present Dublin, Derry, Mayo and Galway you know Mayo, so, were, Mayo were the most vocal nothing it, in much the same way that in The Sopranos, uh, hell was every day is St. Paddy's Day and you're stuck in an Irish bar. That's where Christopher Moltisanti, when he gets shot. For you, hell would be uh, being stuck in, in Croker as Mayo win the All-Ireland and end their famine. Oh. Every day, waking up and going and being surrounded by the Mayo people. That's, no, that's like, your definition of hell. Because that would be a beautiful moment for Mayo fans. Yeah, but you're stuck there every day, Groundhog Day. <laughs> maybe, maybe just once will be fine. But yeah, no, seeing it, seeing it on repeat, and I've nothing against Mayo whatsoever. Um, in fact, the the Mayo. Is that how this started? You do you you're harboring a grudge in the weekend. For no, your, no, no. Your treatment at the hands I, of the 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 rough hewn Mayo. Folk. I was watching the reaction of my Ross Common mate, who who was really taking it taking it to heart. Oh. Uh, but he was he was fine at the end of the, uh, the the guy started tapping me in the back. Got, mm. Mayo scored a point at one stage, and he started tapping me in the back. Oh, up Mayo! And I just turned around and said, "I'm from Monaghan, man." Like. And then he's like, oh, Jesus, he beat us last week. I have nothing against Monaghan, men. So it was all friendly from that point on. But, I mean, it was just... You just were cheering Galway, though. When you they, see, I, they were rubbing it in. For, for people who aren't aware, I, I am 50% Galway. My father and my grandparents and cousins galore are Galway. Done more, uh, to be partic- to particular. So Now people are getting it. ML89. Claire are like Newcastle fans. A group of people who think it's a big team that wins feck all and are very loud for no reason. And I'm 50% Claire. So I should get offended right, by that. Okay, yeah. Naturally, any set of fans when teams are doing well are going to be painful. Cork logic there by Kieran O'Leary. I'd agree. One lad with a microphone talking about Monaghan makes more noise than most Mayo fans. <laughs> well, maybe, but like... Nathan Murphy does enough talking for Mayo fans as well with the microphone. Nathan's gone. P174, Claire fans bitter and think they invented hurling in 1995. That was the reasoning. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I need to know, like, rather than just naming them. Tell us why. Right. Keep this coming. Yeah, you can get in touch with us. Oh, it's 7918 is the WhatsApp number, or you can leave a, a comment in the YouTube stream. Did you have one last one there, column that you wanted to get to? Uh, in general. Well, do you, were, you were giving out. What was the grumbling off stage? Someone said Mayo or Spurs as well, which is... No, I, I was just laughing at you moving on from the segment. But I uh, did want to say about Brendan Rodgers, uh, I feel very bad for him because the spotlight's gone completely off him because of Graham Potter getting sacked in the same day. And now no one's talking about Rodgers. And he'll hate that. And he will hate that. Yeah. I just wanted to get that in there. He's the best candidate for some of those jobs, though. He really is. He really, really is. Like, I'd be taking Brendan Rodgers if I was the vast majority of clubs in the Premier League. Mm. And he's such a good manager. The thing is, he runs out of steam. And also, his teams can't... Uh, when when does he run out of steam, though? Towards the end of his tenures. How long is his tenure? Exactly. Exactly. I'm on your side here. But I'm just saying there's one caveat to him. And also, his teams can't defend set pieces. Just well, can't. Uh, I mean, uh, look, 
I think the the situation at Liverpool is very different where they had the league in their hands and then they broke. We've seen the current Liverpool team with their world-class manager be a little bit broken by what happened to them last season where they got so close but fell. So that you can see that there's a hangover. The situation at Leicester is completely different. They stopped spending money. They yeah. they spent and they backed him and he took a club to the brink of Champions League on two separate occasions and won a trophy for a club that has been trophyless and that there's no way that you can say that he is, he's run out of steam here without caveating that significantly to the fact that their money dried up for loads of different reasons. So anyway, two minutes past eight. We've got to go. Uh, OTBAM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition is available now uh, after the break Tommy Rooney of the Football Pod Somebody's critics these pundits generally speaking I'd be a fan of off the ball exactly and like Tommy knows his football obviously listening to the football pod the odd time and I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms but they just dismiss you like you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion Tommy Tommy Rooney Morning, Jer. How are you? How's Shane? Morning, Tommy. I'm very well. Is that a is that a meat hilltop or is that a cratlow top? It's a meat hilltop, yeah. Ah, very good. Yeah, paying due deference to where, my... you, where you come from. True. Yeah, I've plenty of cratlow gear, but they're the same colours, so oh, very handy. Is that why you picked them? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Okay, let's get into this because there's lots to get to. This is the end of the beginning, not the beginning of yeah. the end. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I can say it's a correction. It's a, it's a confirming of the facts of what we know before we get into the championship. There will be obviously lots of changing this year in championship because we're going to get a lot of football matches. We're going to get a lot of games. There's going to be a round robin series in about five weeks' time. So we can do the power rankings as many times as we want this year, lads. People That's aren't good news. People aren't ready for the round robin, and. No. I think people aren't ready for a good team dropping into the Talton Cup and then not caring enough about it and missing the opportunity to to do stuff. I think all sorts of storylines are going to emerge. So um, that, I agree. That Derry under-20s story is rumbling on as well. Apparently there was a change in the wording of the motion proposed, which would have got Derry out the gap. But then when it actually got written into law, now they're not going to be out the gap. So we can talk about that a little bit later on. But let's get into it, right? Yeah, let's get into it. Um, slide four. London have moved, so they're still 32nd. A few changes here. Tipperary have slid back to 28. Longford are in 27th. They got a win. So this is taken into account the last round of games where there was obviously a little bit of shadow boxing and the league finals. Leash back to 26th. Failed kept promotion. Leitrim, 25th. Right, okay. Sorry, we, we have no graphics today. Just I'm spotting that. Uh, 32 London, 31 Waterford, 30 Carlo, 29 Wexford, 28 Tipperary, minus 1, 27 Longford, plus 1, 26 Leash, down 1, and Leitrim, also down 1. Um, okay, so I, I can run through them and let you know then the, the, yeah. kind of the movements. 24 position, Wicklow are up 2, um, guaranteed promotion in that last kind of swing on the final day, and uh, we're unlucky against Sligo in the Division 4 final. Sligo 23rd, they haven't really moved since the start. We kind of expected them to get promoted. Antrim 22nd, Limerick 21st, Offaly are down 1 to 20th, down or up 1 to 19th as they eye up Donegal in 10 days' time. Fermanagh in 18th, guaranteed promotion. Westmead, this will please a lot of people um, who've been giving me grief for having Westmead so high, have slipped back to 17th ahead of the start of the championship. I do think that they will be higher come the end of it. I don't think we saw the real Westmead during the league. Mead, back to 16th, where they belong. Jerry, you mentioned a big team going into the Talchon Cup. I have a feeling Mead are going to end up in the Talchon Cup this year. 
Um, and it may end up being the best thing for this meat side. Very, very young team, inexperienced. When I say maybe the best thing, I hope they treat it like they would do an All Ireland series and just get that game plan right. Will they, though, Tommy? You know, like, will the players not head off? Much. Say it again, Chad. Will players not head off if the likes of me are in the Tottenham Cup? Uh, I think that's kind of no. Like the round robin is going to be in May. It's right? too early. So you're going yeah. to get your three games yeah. in May anyway, and then you're into a quarter final. And I don't think you can play in the states anyway. I might be wrong on this. I don't think you can play in the states until your county is out of the All Ireland, out of the series, out of the Italian Cup. So right, you know they're going to have to wait anyway till meet are out. So obviously players will go anyways. That you'd never stop a player going. I don't think you should at the county level go and enjoy America. But I do think there are rulings in place that they. Certainly at the All-Ireland series, they have to be out. So I think it's the same with the Tatchen Cup. Um, you know, if they go, they go. Right. Tommy, this is the moment where the, the This Is Your Life music plays and uh, Eamon Andrews pops out with a big red book. This is going over most people's heads. Happy birthday, Tommy. Mm, happy birthday, Tommy. Thanks, we're, lads. We're stopping for a moment to, ah, no. to acknowledge. Oh, Tommy, you better be prepared to be blushing, buddy. Uh, wrote it there Roisin who are we going with first we're going with Trevor Giles oh, hello Tommy how are you uh, Trevor Giles here um, big birthday congratulations to you from uh, one good mead man to another uh, I hear you're hitting a, a good milestone today so well done to you hope you have a great day Tommy enjoy it uh, we, we'll have Sam McGuire back on the banks of the River Boyne uh, before you hit your next big milestone so we, we'll keep the faith. Uh, Colin will have the lads flying before uh, come the championship and loads of good young underage mead footballers coming through the ranks. So uh, good good times are, are on their way. So, uh, But listen, enjoy today, Tommy. Uh, have a great one and we'll talk to you soon. Trevor Giles has the good genes. He looks like he could still play. Looks the same as he always does. He does. That, that is amazing. That is, that's class, lads. Oh, Thanks, we're not man. finished, Tommy. It's, oh. only, it's only getting going. Next, the man, the myth, the legend... Hi, Tommy, Sean Boyle here. I believe there's a, you're hitting the third decade. Great time, great time just to start your life. And if, if whatever you could do really would be try and keep the rest of the lads doing a little bit of work in there because they're codging off you all the time. Listen, have a great day, Tommy, we talk soon. Up the Royal. That's obviously uh, Paddy and James he's oh, talking about. <laughs> one last one for, one last one for, uh, where did you have them in the, in the power rankings number? Number 16, down two. And this is how you, you, you get repaid. Hi, Tommy. Colin O'Rourke here. I'd just like to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> it's hard to credit that you've survived 30 years of the wild west of North Mead and have come away from it unscathed. But they're a tough lot down there. We could do with a few of them on the Mead team at the moment. Things not going so well, but they're going to get better. We have lots of good young players coming through. And it's just a matter of people keeping the faith. We will get there. Anyway, Tommy, happy birthday. Keep up the good work. Uh, ah, that's class. That sounds a, a bit like a come and get me plea from the, the mead manager there. If you were <laughs> ah, just no, to, to no. redeclare your, your interest slash intention. Mm. You know, they could do with a bit of experience up on that full forward line. That is, uh, that's class. Lads. Thanks very much. I definitely milked this birthday. Um, so really appreciate it. That's brilliant. Thankfully, nobody told... Gilesy about the argument we had on Mount Rushmore a couple of summers ago. Oh, he was left off, was he, Tommy? Yeah, I think Gilesy just about didn't make the cut. Oh. Didn't go down very well. That's class. 
Uh, we can draw a discreet veil over that. We might come back to that in a few minutes' time. Let's. Um, Thanks very much. So 16, Meath, down to... And by the way, the Meath on the 20s are in action tonight. And I'm telling you, lads, there's a good group of players there. As Sean Boylan, Colin O'Rourke and Trevor Giles said, the good times are coming. But they are where they are at the minute. 16th. Cavan are up to 15th. Um, they won the league final at the weekend, Division 3. Uh, they'll be quietly confident of facing who, whether it's Antrim or Armagh in the Ulster quarterfinal. Cavan will be happy at where they're at so far this year. So for Cavan to get into Sam Maguire, they need to beat Antrim or Armagh. Let's assume that for argument's sake that it's Armagh who'd be favourites to win that. Armagh would still be favoured against Cavan, but it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that Cavan could turn them over and then they've got to win one more game after that. Down or Donegal. Right. Again, eminently doable given the way the circumstances have fallen. But if Armagh were to just handle their business and come through that side of the draw, you wouldn't be terribly surprised. At which point, Cavan, you'd have to say, would be right there amongst the favourites for the Talton Cup, irrespective of who else is in it. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah and they, they got the job done at the weekend. There was probably times in that Fermanagh game where you were thinking Cavan were doing what they had done last year in the Talton Cup. I'm going to let a trophy slip away. Cavan, by rights, probably should have won the Talton Cup last year if you were looking at it on paper in, in advance. You know, it was a very good Westmead team, but people would have fancied Cavan going into it and they let it go down the stretch. Um, let's not forget Cavan won Ulster two years ago. So, three years ago. Yeah, COVID shortened, obviously. Uh, mm. So, Cavan are 15th. Kildare up two. Back-to-back wins yep. at the end of the season. Everything's coming up. They're back, baby. Everything's coming up, Lily White. Look at it. And, you know, Glen Ryan and his charges steady the ship somewhat. There is a good bit of movement in this kind of middle tier, lads, because you got to move teams somewhere. Like you got to... There, there's Kildare possibly higher than they should be, but, like, who else are you supposed to put there? Like, they are where they are. They survived. They finished fifth. Um, well they're scraping know, into Sam Maguire by the skin of their teeth and skin of their teeth because they're, that's not, it, they're not going to win their Leinster semi-final against the Dubs but they will enter a round-robin series and maybe they can get a bit of a kick then they're going to get three games and who knows there's only four counties who are going to be knocked out of the All-Ireland at the end of the round-robin series there's a preliminary quarter-final there where second position meet third position and that's before we get to an All-Ireland and that's possibly why we've got no break between the provincials and the league. We do love an old uh, sexy marketing nomenclature. It's a lot of games just to get rid of a handful of teams, isn't it? Preliminary quarterfinal. Mm, mm. So sexy. Mm, feel the preliminaries here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I Why know. can't they just call it Wildcard Weekend and get on with it? Like, it's going to be wild. Chance, yeah. There's going to be some team yeah. who comes from this who are going to catapult forward on the back of a victory. Nope. These are preliminaries. Don't pay any attention to it. You can ignore... Phew, Draw a discreet veil over it. Watch the hurling that weekend. It's probably going to be better. That's the message I'm taking from preliminary quarterfinal weekend. I know. We need a little bit of work on it. We need to Todd Bowley it up. Tommy, I have a quick question for you. So you, you, the likes of Cavan there up to the 15th, I agree with you. I think they are deserving of their place up to 15th. Do you feel a pressure based on how vocal a county's support might be on social media? Because the likes of Cavan and Roscommon are quite Our conversation vocal. a couple of weeks ago where I made the point that a Cavan man couldn't bribe me and you said, well, they wouldn't anyway. That's been brought up to me a lot more about any other moment in the power right. this week. I wouldn't say I've gone soft. I would just say that, you know, I needed to make a couple of corrections here and Cavan probably deserve it. Like, they've won... Uh, all of their games were the Antrim so I think, um, I think I think I'd probably still have Kildare uh, so Kildare are ahead of Cavan 15 Cavan 14 Kildare 13 Clare 12 Louth 11 Cork 10 Donegal 9 Monaghan no changes there that's a real I've done I my work here I, I couldn't be but like who who goes there like you but, know and 
Dirty Golden Freefall? could be higher. They could possibly could be higher, but they're not guaranteed to play in Sam. So what's the point in having them up there? I know you're doing. Re- I know it's recency bias, but um, there's only two teams have been in the top six in the country in the league in the last ten years, and mm-hmm. consistently for the last ten years, they are Kerry and Monaghan. So Monaghan have been in Division One for ten years next year. That means they've been in the top six in the country <laughs> in the league. Yeah, but this is the power ranking. Yeah, they've just beaten May- Mayo, the only team to beat them. Jesus Kevin McStay's shit. only defeat as Mayo manager. Mayo's B team, yeah. Yeah, listen, Again, in Castlebar. Still a strong Get off the roundabout, Shane. Get off the roundabout. How many times have you gone around it at this stage? We know Monaghan survived. Fair play. Brilliant. They showed serious resilience. But, let's face it, it's still a young group of Monaghan. They probably aren't the Monaghan that we've seen that, you know, peaked in the last decade, won a couple of Ulsters, got to an All-Ireland semi-final, didn't they? Yeah, or did they? Did. They? they did, 2018. They got yeah. to an All-Ireland semi-final. You know, they're very unlucky a couple of years you're sleeping on Monaghan them. Aren't there yet. One. I'm not saying they won't get back there. No, nope. they're not there yet. I'm quite happy for you to sleep on them. That's uh, fine. I don't think we are. By the way, the Monaghan Twenties have in the preliminary round a couple of weeks ago beat Cavan, uh, or sorry, beat uh, Armagh by two points. Uh, last last weekend they beat Cavan, a good Cavan under twenty team. All right, and they have uh, Down coming up in the semi finals. Okay, they're a okay. good team. Okay, you're you're Shame. you're. No, this is not local radio, Shane. <laughs> uh, that segment is over. We're not talking about it, Monaghan anymore. So let's uh, let's do a bit more roll with their roasting. So uh, some of some of Tommy's colleagues. Here's what they have to say. We're going to start with the football pod guys. Tommy, thirty years of age. Happy birthday! It's it's all downhill from here. I have to say. Uh, I was texted during the, over the weekend. You had a great run in your twenties, but. Which my own 30th birthday, I never started another match for Dublin. Literally, the day I turned 30, I was dropped by Jim Gavin. So, <laughs> um, you shouldn't have any issues like that. Um, you're young, you're fit, you look great. Have a great week celebrating this because you really should make the most of it. Uh, hope Schiefer's looking after you and Bailey. And yeah, enjoy the, the big trio. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Ruthless from Jim Gavin. What did uh, James O'Donoghue have to say? You're right, Tom. Just want to wish you a very happy birthday from the kingdom. The baby of the football pod finally becoming a man. It's funny actually because a lot of people ask me, "What age is what age is Tommy Rooney?" And I say 29, and they go, "Geez, I would have sworn late 40s." <laughs> so you're you're getting there. Uh, but no, on a serious note. Hope you had a great birthday, and maybe this year you get that call you want off Colm O'Rourke. Happy birthday, Tom. It's really Colm Collins you want the call from. But anyway, uh, there's one final one that we're going to do for now. This is the most devastating one that we've ever had. Tommy Rooney, how's it going? A very happy birthday to you. The big 3-0, which uh, I'm sure you pointed out to Colm O'Rourke in multiple unanswered WhatsApp messages, means that your best years are still very much ahead of you at this point. Um, really miss the chats, really miss uh, catching up with you. Tommy, really enjoyed that last conversation we had last summer, for example, where you told me in no uncertain terms that my life would be in danger unless I quit my job and left the country immediately uh, so that you could uh, pick up the mantle as being the custodian of the power rankings. Uh, really miss the, the letters he used to send to my family home, uh, warning us that we were in grave danger unless we all fled the country with immediate effect in order for you to take up the role of power rankings chief executive. So, yeah, looking forward to catching up again soon, Tommy. Looking forward to seeing you. And um, just one other thing, quick word of warning, watching the Instagram very, very closely. 
couple of worrying developments. It seems that with the great responsibility of the power rankings has come a, a great sense of inflated ego. And we're seeing more of you on the Instagram. We're seeing more of the power rankings on your Instagram. And we are unfortunately seeing less of your incredibly cute dog, Bailey, which culminated in a, a series of pretty grim allegations over the course of the weekend and some photographic evidence that suggests that you actually turned your dog into a birthday cake, which is... Uh, quite troubling news indeed and uh, I don't want to ruin your birthday or anything but uh, I would suggest that you come out and clear up these allegations with immediate effect otherwise uh, your 30th will be um, will be ruined to be quite honest with you so hope we can get that cleared up Tommy uh, have a good one Sigmund That's Freud that was a lovely one by the way the sunglasses are brilliant Sigmund Freud the sun, I saw the sunglasses there in the corner of my eye he's looking well um, I can clear up those allegations. I was absolutely, I was equally horrified as I was amazed by the birthday cake that was presented to me at home in Mead. So um, my mom and sister came up with that idea and uh, I couldn't eat it until I had about eight points into me. It was nice, but my mom said, do you want to bring it home with you? I couldn't, I couldn't bring it home. So It looked exactly yeah. like your dog to be It fair. wasn't actually Bailey though, just for the record. No, it wasn't actually based on Bailey. It wasn't, it wasn't actually based on Bailey. I saw the photo they used and Bailey's asleep, so I'm not going to wake him up. Okay. Uh, last one for now. Who's this? Good morning. I just wanted to wish Meath Hill's finest, Tomas Rooney, a very special and a happy 30th birthday. I hope all's good, my man. Enjoy it all. You're cracking on a bit now, Tommy. Um, now residing, of course, in the west of Ireland, where, if anything, that will truly make a man of you. Uh, enjoy it all. Doesn't seem two minutes ago since uh, I joined off the ball and you were my wingman. But anyway, take it easy. All the best. That looked like he's wearing silk pajamas. Uh, it, you know, it, Life's good. And you can't have for that one. Right. Let's keep going. Happy birthday, Tom. You're Happy very birthday. good. <clears throat> um, we, we yeah, I, a, I just a little we, note here. You know, you, you aren't giving me that much grief, but Claire 13th, Corker 11th. Um, Claire 3-1 to one at the weekend. And I had called down very early on in the and the football pod this year and I got berated by James and Paddy for it they're now 7-4 to four heading into the Donegal game this weekend you know there's there's a couple of very very tight matches there's nine matches in championship this weekend there is a danger that the likes of Leitrim and Sligo could get caught away from home they're going into the bear pits in London and Ryslip and in Gaelic Park in New York there's always kind of you know eyes on New York early days to see who they have like what's what's going on and um, they've got a, a pretty solid team out there, a couple of strong Galway players and uh, a couple of late additions as well. So there's going to be some very tasty games this weekend. Keep an eye on the nine of them. Okay, so plenty um, of them. For... Into slide one. Yeah. So a couple got... of changes here. Roscommon are eighth. Armagh are seventh. Tyrone have moved up one to six. So they've swapped with Armagh there. Roscommon possibly hard done by Derry Dublin. I made this change last night, lads, after midnight. So I don't know if I was right to do it. But I've gone with my gut. I've gone with what I've watched and what I've seen and I've put Mayo into second place and I've swapped them with Galway there. A lovely little bit of needle during the game, after the game and it, if we get and Roscommon, I hope they rattle the cages and I hope they, they turn it all, turn up the books this weekend but if we get Mayo Galway in two weeks that is going to be a cracker. So number one is Kerry, number two is Mayo, number three is Galway, number four is Dublin, number five is Derry, number mm-hmm. six is Tyrone. Mm-hmm. Armar 7 and, and Ross Conrad. I have to say, I think that um, we might have seen Derry's ceiling and I'm basing this off the fact that so much has been made of the the tiny little squad they have. Like, we talk about this a little bit later with David Brady, but um, 
they, the squad is so small that this under 20s thing is actually going to have a negative impact on them and how do you go from having a really good defensive structure to having no defensive structure against the dubs like yeah uh, so there's a couple of things there James and Paddy are adamant that Gallagher is going to play the 20s that he needs and they're not going to play the 20s championship he's okay. adamant that that's going to happen they think it's going to, it needs to be a horse for course approach depending on the county and the alignment between the board and the team and the manager we obviously saw the blowout in Mead a couple of years ago with Bernard Flynn and Andy McEntee now in Mead at the minute there's an agreement in place between Colm O'Rourke and John McCarthy that O'Rourke won't go near the 20s even though there's a good clatter of footballers there that he'd probably love to have involved they're going to stay going there's a good team there they're convinced that Derry are going to effectively take the lads away from their 20s team and put the priority in the senior championship because that's a tricky game against Fermanagh they got coming up after that have we seen their ceiling I wondered last year have we seen their ceiling when they got to the All-Ireland semi-final and they fell short against Galway I wasn't sure that they had added enough this year like, in fairness to them they, they've added a few bits and pieces McAvoy going full back who was missing at the weekend has freed up Rodgers to play the way he's playing in midfield Christy McCaig wasn't there at the weekend the wheels kind of come off when glass went off it is a thin team it is a thin panel and they didn't even have Lock and Murray and a couple of players come off the bench late on which made the difference in other games I do think that there are limitations with this Derry side. But I'll say it again. I've said it a couple of times this year. There are limitations with every single one of the contenders this year. Okay. Positives and negatives with all of them. Derry's have probably been exposed and are more obvious. I think Tyrone are ahead of Derry, actually, given the fact that they, as a squad, know what it takes to win an All-Ireland. And granted, they did it under fairly remarkable circumstances with the game being postponed and then being back on. And um, and then just the performance in the semi-final and final. Like that, that's the type of thing that stands here. Go on. Don't forget, though, think of the savage depth Tyrone had back then. And yeah. It all fell apart after that. Even their, their X-Factor coming off the bench, Conor McKenna, like he was a huge addition back then. They, had, they weren't even starting... Were they starting McShane and Canavan that year? Did McShane end up getting a starting bird? No, you know, like he comes off the bench too. Off, yeah. Yeah, no, they had an incredible bench, but uh, Canavan has stepped up and that under-20s team from last year was fairly impressive and they're starting to be an influx of new blood at training and there's just enough now so I think I do think that they turned things around in the league and I, I did think that when they were all Ireland champions that there was a significant cohort of that team that's very very good and they're still there so I, I would actually have them ahead of Derry at the moment just Where are you on Galway Mayo? Well uh, I, I think Galway are third and Mayo are fourth right? Just on, just on the basis of uh, Galway have strength and depth their best players aren't playing at the very limit just yet and that Mayo have come out and have gone for this early to try and get that confidence going to get that rolling ball going because it's so difficult sometimes to stop but I, I just think that um, Galway the whole thing about losing the finals Liverpool lost about four finals in a row under Klopp before they eventually exploded and I just feel like Galway have not been trying to win the league but right this, and they've managed to build the, significant depth the nature of the power rankings is reactive so you can't have the league champions in fourth uh, no I, I, can, I can do what I want you can You can have your own little So uh, it, the nature of the power well, rankings you've got is Dublin that, in second what? you've got Dublin in second no I don't who do you have second? second? Carrier second what? And Dublin yeah. first I think, I think we've seen what? we've seen a, a transformation in Dublin I think we've seen if you if you look at the team right uh, if you look at the team at the end of the league Con is fit James McCarthy is fit Mannion is fit uh, now I don't know what McCaffrey I don't know what's going on with McCaffrey 
I would like to have seen more of McCaffrey and potentially a full game at the weekend. I don't know what his level of fitness is like, but that's a different team this year than it was last year. They have uh, a strength and depth, which we haven't seen from them. They have an ability to change the game. And also, they now seem to have decided that there's a game plan where we're actually going to try and beat teams by scoring goals. Uh, I think there's been a transformation. If, if say, say you went into the last year's uh, game between Kerry and Dublin, but you knew that Calm was going to play and you knew that Mannion was going to play and that if they need him from the bench, you have uh, Jack McCaffrey. Uh, is, it still a, is it still a last second free from Sean O'Shea to win the game for Kerry or does that change things significantly? Don't forget, and I, and I understand what you're saying here, but don't forget that Kerry should have been seven or eight points clear in that first half. They weren't. Sorry, James McCarthy wasn't fully fit last season either for for ages. Totally. And so I'm I'm now saying that I have McCarthy fully fit. I have Conor Callahan, who I wasn't sure was going to get back to the same levels, but it looks like he's getting back there in in terms of his explosiveness. And I have Paul Mannion in the team. So does that team get seven or eight points down against Kerry? We, we don't know yet. Look, we haven't seen those Dublin lads together yet. It is. It is. I would say they're all quietly confident in Dublin that. Um, they've got enough out of this league and they've had enough people return with all Ireland medals in their back pocket and Clucks and Mannion McCaffrey can't be in fit but like I've been very reluctant to move Dublin and Kerry so far this year because as you said about Galway they'd be quietly happy with how the league went and what they've got out of it you know Mayo moving into second Grant you know a lot of bluster about them at the minute but that's going off what we're seeing they are actually they have changed there is a difference there and there is a bit of a um there is a bit more of a structure to how Mayo are played. They're probably the team that have changed the most from last year, from how they played under Horn. The Dubs, Jer, are they going to go more direct? Like, did that kind of just happen against Derry because they weren't kicking points and didn't have people to kick points? They don't have Flynn's and Connolly's anymore to flick over points from 45 yards when they're playing against the Black of Defence. Nothing else is working for them. And I would argue that, apart from Con's directness, there was an element of flukiness. The first goal was a square ball. First goal was definitely that, square ball. Yeah, I did, but uh, the but third, the fourth goal was a fluke. Before the and first goal was scored, there were multiple goal chances in the first half, and one of them comes from John Small, who blasts yeah. over and is like killed himself. And like, oh, I can't believe I did that, and then gets the opportunity to fix it in the second half. I was like, okay, that's uh, you know the 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 AI is learning here, and it's becoming smarter than us. And afterwards, laughing after Small buried it into the back of the net. <laughs> yeah, I wonder did Cluxton have forwards in him at halftime. I don't know, but it was certainly there. You um, go. Value of bringing them back already. Look, uh, you're sceptical about it. I, you know, I'm not sceptical oh, no, about no, it. No, 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 I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. Well, I, I just want to know what game Jar's playing here. Like, to have Dublin at the top of any power rankings at the moment. Well, uh, the vast majority of the panel have uh, six Fair All-Irelands, or four All-Irelands, or three and a half All-Irelands. Like, many of them know exactly what it takes to win. And so, Kerry won. They're not top. They, like, I, 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 I can have the argument maybe third but like power rankings they're not top like this isn't the legacy power rankings this is the no, exactly. up to date yeah, yeah. Three, three so Mannion and so the, uh, the, the players on the bench are going to be Scully Costello Howard uh, Paddy Small they're, they're suddenly the bench has gone from having nothing on it to having loads on it and uh, I don't know if that happens they'll walk the All-Ireland this year what do you mean if that happens? I just happens? don't know if we're going to see that. I don't know if the stars are going to align the way that they're trying to get them to align. 
at the moment everybody's fit which is really unusual and has been unusual for them and look here's the thing Khan gets injured in the first game does a hamstring or whatever and is kind of just back in time for preliminary quarter final weekend then it's a, it's a different scenario but as it stands if, if James McCarthy is fully fit for the whole for the rest of the thing like that's at a level that he hasn't been at last season I, I just I don't know we gotta go we gotta go but okay. you know, you're Thanks saying you're saying carrier one May or I don't two. think Kerry have moved. I think Kerry are happy out. Everyone's talking about them going to Portugal this week. They've three weeks to get ready. They're going to breeze through Munster, and even if they don't, they're still in an All Ireland series. They're going to be first seeds if they get through Munster in the round robin. They're going to be perfectly primed. They've been able to time their run. I would say the Dubs are in a similar boat. Go away and, and Mayo, like they're going to be fine as well. I do think that is going to be an absolutely sensational uh, July and late June. There's probably going to be a little bit more like the league that we've seen over the next six, seven, eight weeks. It's going to be good games, but we're not going to get a full picture of who the real contenders are. All right, that's this week's episode of the uh, Power Rankings. Tommy knows his football, obviously, listening to football at the odd time. And I was looking at the Power Rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. David Brady, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jared. How's things? Yeah, very good. Very good. We're um, just wrapping up Tommy's Power Rankings there. I don't know if you heard any of that, but... Um, I think that there's there's a couple of months of well seven or eight weeks of shadow boxing until we get to All Ireland quarter final weekend. Would you put Mayo there during your own? Was it fourth? I had him fourth, yeah, fourth, yeah, fourth. David, that's what Jar. That's what that's what Jar thinks of Mayo right now. Yeah, well, you get to an All Ireland semi final if you're fourth, and then you see what happens. Are you fi- you're okay, Jar? Yeah, this weather, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fourth. Is the, is the National League competition not to pick the current best team in form? No, because uh, Kerry don't care about winning the league this year, having been defending All Ireland champions in a way that they did last season when they were trying to get some structure around what they were doing and set standards. This year they know the standards and they're trying to find new players. I also think that the Dubs were in Division Two, so maybe if Dublin had been in Division One, things might have been different. But I'm not sure they would. I think that for Dublin, it's just about getting the depth and making sure everybody's fit by All Ireland quarter final weekend. Yeah, if Dublin were in Division One, um, it would have been interesting. But I don't think I don't think they're playing the type or style or quality of football that would uh, deliver them a, a national league title. And you're you're right about Curry. Um, yeah, they set out, and Jack O'Connor was was um, was very open on the set about you know looking to deliver a league title last year, and they delivered it. I think it has it has definitely stood to the winners of. The, the, the Division 1 title over the last number of years um, that it has given that momentum that positivity going forward in the championship and I think I, honestly I, I wouldn't you couldn't have you couldn't have Mayo at current power rankings at, at number 4 um, you'd have them you have to have them the way they're playing from a current perspective form quality depth um, I, I definitely have them at number 1 current power rankings we're not we're not mystic megs we're not looking into the future we're just what we have now and what's there um, definitely the number one form team in the country, and as Kevin McStay kind of said, that's 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 something for them to to um, to shoulder now. National League champions going into the going into the the kind of championship next Saturday or next Sunday against Roscommon. Can I ask you if that's the case? How come you need your goalkeeper to be man of the match? Because you look at things weren't that wasn't a perfect performance. It wasn't a perfect game, and again, uh, the one the the points that. Um, Cormac Reap got man of the match was one that he got three vital frees 
Um, there were, there were two forty fives at a long distance. Um, if Galway probably had Shane Walsh on form, or they were better at their long distance pre-taken, um, they'd have been in that game a lot more and could have possibly won it. Um, but then the four shots that Cormac Reap had to save is down to saying, looking at the video analysis and where did it come from? A lot of it came from some deep running around the middle, uh, around uh, through Mayo's half half back line, and that's that's something that Mayo will need to work on because um, you know four four goals like that, uh, three months time. All Ireland semi final, um, three or four of them could go in. So that's that's something definitely Mayo have to work on. But um, it is it is it wasn't a complete performance, but it was enough to uh, to win the national league against a very good, well organised, and I mean well organised um, Galway team. It, just in terms of the defensive structure, are there any issues with that? Like all, all joking aside and power rankings aside, if you're if you're Mayo and you're looking at how Galway created those opportunities. Other teams are going to be looking at that as well. So, uh, obviously, the one-on-one defending is fine. We, we, Keane Johnson's doing a bit of work with us in, in terms of analysis, and he was making the point that Coyne was all over Finnerty, McBrien and Callanan did as well as they could on, on Shane Walsh, but overall, the defensive structure is a bit of an issue. Um, runners from deep not being tracked, one hand pass takes out five or six players, and suddenly Galway are through on goal. So... Uh, part of this is is making sure your structures are right. And I suppose that's the point of the league. You 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 Mayo will analyze this as well and go, okay, how did that happen? But uh, is there a structural issue there? Are are you happy for those chances to be the way they were? And that's the the high wire act that you're playing. Uh, no, I don't think it's a it's a higher wire act or, a, or it's a, a gamble. But I do think that there is certain tweaks. And uh, you know, Conor Loftus uh, again has been transformed. We all have kind of struggled to get a very kind of solid centre-back over the last number of years. Uh, if we remember back, um, uh, Aidan O'Shea was one of our, one, one our centre-backs um, in, in, in last year's league. Um, so it, it, we've struggled from a positional sense like that. And again, what the, from a plus-one perspective, um, as it happened that uh, uh, Conor Loftus wasn't a sitting plus-one, when the, the runs from deep came. So it's more or less in their defensive setup. Guys not actually tracking the danger runners. Um, again, you would be looking at more help from your midfield and half-back line on that. You had Peter Cook, you had John Maher um, getting two shots off. So there are guys really coming from deep. But someone needs to be more or less martial on that or picking out the danger runners. And uh, I think it's definitely it's definitely something we all will work on to say, why did why did the, why is the runners from deep causing us, causing us problems? And it probably... It probably kind of adds a little bit more that you need a little bit more help from your half forward line and your midfielders to pick out these runners from deep, That's and it. even your even your even your full your full forward line. Yeah, Mayo played, Mayo played very defensively at times, massively defensively, which was a ploy, which was a tactic. Aidan O'Shea was probably deeper um, in the league final than he was in a lot of games because they set up with uh, forty men completely behind the ball inside their own forty-five, and that kind of stifles Galway's. If you give Galway space. They kill you with pace, and that kind of that kind of you know when you have a fast team like with Comer and and especially Shane Wall starting off the game there, you are looking to kind of limit the amount of space them guys get. The, sorry, the Conor Loftus thing I was just going to tease out there. Um, the, Loftus uh, is has been a, a transformed, obviously, right, and has been a revelation in the league. He's not going to be a similar type, holding, sitting. Sweeper. He's not going to be the Keen O'Sullivan. He's not going to be Tyke Morley. So 
that's why everybody else has to do those duties or do you try and turn him into that and stifle his attacking creativity bit is there a trade-off or do you just go actually and maybe this is the next stage of evolution of Gaelic football is that your, your centre-back is going to be more of a quarterback and, and more aggressive and, and as you mentioned them players of the past like Morley and O'Sullivan and, and just do it to absolute perfection but it's not an independent role and it is very much based on the link and the telepathic I suppose understanding you have with your players coming around you and who's going to hand off to you or who's Who's going to be your link to say, right, I can go on now once I get the nod or once I get the, the eyeball or once I know I'm being covered? And I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a massive... Because, again, it, what, what it does really is it stifles your inside forward line from being able to uh, inflict damage on you. You have someone sitting in front of them covering the channel. Wherever, whatever, ball, whatever channel the ball is coming down, you need to have that channel covered. If there's runners coming through and you see them, maybe that's maybe a bit of the problem that the runners are coming through and the gaps are open. And it should be probably the plus one that goes to them. Um, and that's just to say, you know what, I understand now that I should have went to that man, shouldn't have held space, should have pushed up a little bit closer. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's work in progress, but it's a new dimension from Mayo's perspective. And it's, it's you know, he's, he's capable, but it is going to be, it is going to be a, a very onerous job over the championship. But he has that ta- attacking capability as well, because ball breaks down, you get a turnover. When you have the likes of Jack Coyne going ahead, Sam Callaghan going ahead, Connor Loft is going ahead. Um, they're serious attacking threats, and that's that's what we we seen from especially Coyne and uh, Sam Callaghan on Sunday. We were full of praise for Tommy Conroy yesterday on the on the show, David, and, and I think rightly so. We were making the, the point with Morris Brosnan that every time he got the ball, Croke Park seemed to light up a little bit. You always expect him to do something and, and take a man on. Those options that Kevin McStay has at full forward and uh, forward line generally, to be honest, but particularly in full forward when everyone is fit, that's not an easy decision for Kevin McStay to have to make but then I guess in some ways you finish with your strongest team how do you how do you see that battle for spots in that full forward line in, in Mayo and now we're talking about the potential from Mayo's perspective because for the first time and I said it there is that there is that competition for places Tommy Connery came on against Donegal and I don't know who, what, what defender it was in Donegal but he actually just left him for dust um, he was electric coming on Really injected massive pace, and you could see that confidence in his. Like he, he is poetry and poetry in motion. What you want is to keep him fit and keep him injury free. Killian O'Connor is well on his way to be back. Uh, I would be, I would be very surprised if he doesn't play a part next Sunday. Um, he, he's, um, I think he's well on his way there. You have Enda Hessian as well. Um, you have Owen McLaughlin. Um, the, the, from the forwards, from the forwards, or from a team perspective, you have three or four fellas that are well capable of coming on, uh, and really, that's that's where you, that's where you're going to be all Ireland contenders. Just like we were talking that you were talking there earlier about Dublin, if you don't have that bench, you don't have that strength. Um, well, then you're you're going to be found out. You're going to be found out, and I think from a Galway perspective, um, they're they're again struggling a little bit with that. We seen it in the All Ireland final last year. They were in it. They were in it. They were there. Um, but they just needed that to push on. And that is usually comes from your bench, that depth and strength. And it's not, it wasn't there from a goalless perspective. Um, young Tom O'Cullaghan, come on. Good player, scored in the last minute of the game. But again, you want two or three more like him to be able to inject a bit of quality and um, uh, I suppose a, a bit of spark and attack. Um, Galway have it. Our Dublin have it. Mayo now have it. And uh, Curry have it to a degree. Uh, pick your full forward line for us. Um, number one and again last Sunday uh, Aidan O'Shea 
top class, top class um, from a work perspective, from a link perspective. Um, I think he's having his best season so far um, because he knows what he has to do. He knows this is his, this is his place. And again, he doesn't have to, uh, from a legs perspective, um, he can, he can, uh, he can protect them and uh, use his strengths. And we've seen the amount of freeze that he got the last day. Um, for me, uh, I'm, I'm Killian. If Killian is fit, simple out. You have Killian. You have um, uh, Ryan Dunhu uh, and Ed Noshia. So James Carr and Tommy Conroy on the bench to come in and change the game if, as and when you need it. Exactly, exactly, and it's and it and it is and it is horses for courses. I, I'd have no problem. I'd have no problem with Killian out in the half forward line, the centre forward. Okay, if you want to put Tommy in. Um, big time, yeah, yeah. I I do think I do think from a half forward perspective, Jordan Flynn has played very well. Um, probably wasn't his greatest game last Sunday, um, but there there could be potential for Killian to be to be there around the the half forward line. Um, and again, you have that mix and match. You could have uh, Killian going in, Aiden coming out, and you have a, a perfect man from a target perspective, sixty yards down the pitch with the the kick out that Cormac Reap has as well. Would you like to see Aidan O'Shea taking over the scoreboard a little bit more? Like he often does that dummy solo where he, where he threatens to shoot and, and doesn't. He's, but he's doing a lot of other work, I suppose. David is the point. Doing it all, he, he's doing that all year, Shane. Doing yeah. all, that all year. He scored probably more in the league than he has ever. Mm-hmm. I'd say in his in, in his career. Um, very good. I said the amount of frees that he's got over the league because he is. And you're going like even Sean Amster, who was who was one of the top defenders. He lost him once or twice in that kind of step and that quick turn. And uh, I think it was three frees that he got. He got. Um, he got from Mayo that were converted. Um, but no, he's 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 doing exactly what's required, and um, he, he's he's um, he's adding so much, so much to that team. And again, it's from a leadership perspective as well. Um, as a, as a senior player, there, it's uh, it's very good. It's very good. I think only four of Mayo's points were from player of the fourteen, but that's not really a concern either. I guess you have to be, as you say. Getting forward and earning frees, and, and and there was a couple of attacking marks in there as well. So it's not really that big a concern, David, is it? Ah, well, you, you kind of go on. You don't like to say you've only scored four times from play, and I think Porrick Joyce alluded to that to say, well, they only yeah. scored four points from play, and the referee wasn't really on our side, and blah blah blah. <laughs> um, yeah, they got they got they got their marks, and again, it has been a feature. I think Ryan Dunhu has got he's he's nearly in double figures for marks this year. Um, he got two the last day. And again, it is that added, you know, you look at Paddy Durkin, who is just a gazelle. Every time he looks up and his first his first thought is, is there someone I can pick out? Is, is there a kick pass I can give? If not, then he goes on his bike. But it is it is that added that added fluidity that Mayo have, have brought to their game this year. The kick pass, you have a fulcrum there. A, the vast majority of the time uh, in Aidan O'Shea, Mayo didn't keep two up or one up in, from a defense or from an attacking point of view. They had everyone back at times. But when you have everyone back, it kind of it creates that avenue for your attack. And, and again, as I mentioned, I, 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 the, the Jack Coyne and Sam Gallagher in the full back line, um, that was a massive, massive step for them on Sunday because they're, they're young, they're enthusiastic. Um, experience comes with time. Yet that they need time. But uh, winning the National League was, was a, a very, very important um, step for them last Sunday. In, uh, in 2001... Mayo beat Galway in the league by a point, and then don't talk to me. I know what you, I know what you're going to say. And then the Razzies caught them, and then and then Galway yeah. went on to win the All Ireland. I know, I know. And I'm look that was for me again um, National League final against Galway in 2001. 
And I'm being straight and honest. I wouldn't. I, 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 and that's, I, I hate them when it comes to football. They're lovely people. But I hate them when it comes to football. Um, and again, it was it was nice to have a little smile after the game on Sunday because there is that rivalry, there is that intensity. Um, 2001, God, we had the last smile. They won the All Ireland, and it is it is going back to the 96, 97, 98 rivalry, hatred. Um, but it brought the level of football between the two counties and in Connacht up that 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 step. And again, you have it now. Two teams. You look and go. Poor Joyce has done a phenomenal job. And we, we can look and I'd say to look at three years ago, Galway were probably in the same situation as, as a meet. They were just plodding along in the football world, division two, you know, there or thereabouts. And now look at the steps and development that Galway have taken. All Ireland final, you know, you think, ah, you might, they might go on the beer or they might, you know, there might be a lot of negativity or they might take them a time to get back on the bike, National League final. And, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised um, as they'll be up there right contenders in the last four, the last two and uh, wouldn't it be great? And there's a possibility of having a Mayo goal with final this year. So um, that'll be that'll be one for the ages. But it is, it's a credit to both counties, the management, especially Porrick Joyce and his team, the way he has brought this goal team, young, under 21 All-Ireland champions a number of years ago and they're now contenders and I don't think it'll be a setback. Whatever time it is now, what time is it in Portugal? It's Quarter to nine, quarter to ten in Portugal, I can guarantee you, go will have an hour and a half under their belt. Um, they went out there yesterday, they've recovered that have a swim gym session, but they'll be, they'll be doing their, their morning shift at seven, half seven this morning. And again, this evening, this, this, this week will be vital for them. And it's, I think it's great timing because you're going, oh, we lost the National League, but you're out in Portugal, the sun is shining, there's a little bit of positivity in it, and you can really, um, circle the wagons for, for, uh, for two, two, uh, three weeks time. In uh, in Salt Tim when Galway Galway welcome me all back. Oh, or Ross Common. I was gonna say the Ross Common hey. fans are tuning in this oh, morning. Jesus, well. Sorry about that. <laughs> do, you, do you think, Mel, is is that is that uh, a foregone conclusion, David? Like, As, by no means is it a foregone <laughs> conclusion. But you have to say to yourself, um, if if you if you really adapt and play to your ability and execute your game plan as you should, um, two teams versus each other, may all should and and. Should without should definitely come out on top. Um, you're you're giving Davy Burke some material here. I look at. I'm not giving them material because Davy knows they'll be within that game. Um, are they are they National League champions? Mayor and again Mayor favourites for the game. And you know nine times out of ten favourites win. And and, and I, I think I think it's um, it's. I don't mind the week. I think it's generally a good thing that they're going back straight on the bike again. Um, after that game on Sunday to to a game uh, next Sunday in McHale Park uh, at four o'clock, I think um, I, I, I just, I'm, 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 I, you have to be confident and and you should be confident. And I think to have definitely enough and to have that kind of capability and 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 depth and strength from a from a bench perspective. Twenty um, and twenty nineteen was the other time that uh, Mayo won the league and then got beaten by Ross Common in the championship. That's the last two times. I, I you know, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense for it to happen this hard time. 2001 has no <laughs> bearing on this one. It, it's true. It's just that, it, you know, yeah. it's a, a nice little quirk there that um, there's an opportunity for this Mayo team to make their own bit of history twice in a week. And if I'm right, I, 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 think, I think that Mayo had a big, big gap in 2019. Something like a five-week gap to the Roscommon game or something. Um, but it, does, it doesn't matter if it's a week, five days or five weeks. Um, it's about getting the mindset right. 
And as Kevin McStay said on Sunday, uh, that was his, after his press conference. He was going in. There was 30, 38 of the squad, the backroom team, and it was the focus for us coming. And uh, that, and again, we go back. Um, Kevin McStay knows this Roscommon team or knows Roscommon football as good as anyone. He's been there, he's managed them, he's had success with them. Yeah. Um, so he'll he'll be he'll be well up for this as well. One last one. Um, notwithstanding everything we were talking about, the defence and the defensive structure, is there any bat signal that you do as the manager at this stage, given everything else that's going on everywhere else around the country, to Lee Keegan to say uh, we could do with the, a sweeper style six who can complement? Connor Loftus are you interested oh sure look and would you be interested in Oshin Mullen or would you be interested in everything you know it, it's uh, unfortunately at this step no you wouldn't you wouldn't in any way shape or form bring someone out from the cold into the, the red heat of, of, of championship not having played any league game it's different from a goalkeeper it's different you know um, legs fitness and everything else you're out of it for six months and even players coming back from injury do struggle to get up to the to the to the level and to the to the the momentum of of, of senior championship football and no unfortunately that that uh, that won't be happening that won't be happening but um, I do think I honestly honestly I think Lee would be a, a massive massive advantage if he was still there. So like, if we look back, there is there is there are there will be game time in the round robin. That doesn't really matter. There's more than likely in Mayo's scenario, like if they get through, uh, if they get through the Roscommon game, then you could definitely say there will be a game where they're guaranteed to be going through. After you know, uh, no matter what division they're in, it's very unlikely there's going to be a group of death. And even then, there'd be a preliminary quarter final, as we've been talking about, that they'll be safe. So there's there is there's enough games. To get somebody no. back in, if you wanted it, there's, there's not, uh, not sure, honest to God, okay. not no win. There's no, there's one game is not enough. Two games, in-house games. <clears throat> there's five months of hard work and toil. Nearly six from these guys last November when they met up uh, with Kevin McStay. They've done a massive amount of work. Uh, Donny Buckley has pushed them to their very, very, very limit. And again, it's very hard, very hard. I remember coming back. I came back into my into Mio setup. I was over in Australia, um, living life. I came back around April time, and I just absolutely struggled, struggled to get back in. Yes, I got back in, and we got to we went we went to the All Ireland final. I played, but you 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 have uh, it's it'll be too much for for someone that uh, at Lee Keegan's age as well to come and just try and get back on that train. His mind will be. 100% capable um, but no don't Francis don't be starting any rumours that won't be that won't be. I'd, I'd have told you by now Jer. I'd have told you by now we're just suggesting it don't worry don't worry yeah, DB yeah. you're feeling good about life though uh, you have the number, uh, number one in your power rankings oh without a doubt number one in the, in the current power rankings without a doubt yeah yeah and uh, I'm proud of it I'm proud of it they're, they're a very good squad and again I just love what Kevin McStay is bringing the open honesty and uh, modesty as well. I think that's 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 a very very important uh, part of the journey of what Mio will be going on this year. Yeah, no, oh, he's been a real breath of fresh air, and it looks like he's enjoying every second of it. As we are in your company again, DB. Thanks, a million. Pleasure, Jar. Talk to you, Shane. Buddy. Thanks, David. I have to say, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here. I I think Ross Common are waiting. They are waiting for this game, I, and I know the games in Castlebar, but. Uh, 
I think there are good, good things happening with this Roscommon team. They started off the league with those three wins. As I pointed out there, Mayo scored four points from playing Croke Park at the weekend. Ros- I, I, Ros- I, I, I know it's relevant. It's, uh, every game's different. Roscommon kicked 20 points from playing their last league game. I, 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 but uh, points scored I know. From, from a mark are points from play. I know, of course. Yeah, fair. They are. A they are. They, they, like, oh, they scored a lot of points from marks. That doesn't count. They do. They, they count exactly the same on the scoreboard. And you created the opportunity from open play for that to happen. We have to stop saying, oh, they're kicking these a mark. There's the argument, as David says, of, of the week. That, you know, it's good for me to continue the week and hashtag momentum. But Roscommon have the rested legs compared to Mayo. That, that regardless of what way you look at it, having a, a league final on Sunday, and look, they, they desperately wanted that match put to Saturday for a reason, because 24 hours is a big difference at this stage. But it's coming about an extra week. Like th- that has to have a significant factor as well. I just think it's going to be a, a much closer game than pe- people realise, and I would not be at all surprised if we're looking at a Roscommon Galway kind of semi final. Yeah, the the bye week in uh, American football, it's one of the things that the whole season revolves around, and it has tended to be a decisive factor when it has come to outcomes. Now, the best teams get the bye week mm. in, in American football. This isn't necessarily the case uh, according to the current standings in the Gaelic Football Championship. But we shall see, and we'll preview that game in a bit more detail as the week goes on. But as Tommy said, there are a slew of championship games this weekend, some of which are very much under the radar because it's just so many of them. But it is 8.55 and uh, you are watching on youtube.com forward slash off the ball or you're listening to us on OTB Sports Radio however you're with us this morning we're glad to have you and a reminder OTB AM is live with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition available now turning back to football and it's been a wild four or five days uh, on and off the field I'm delighted to say Nada Manua is with us to talk to us a bit about what is going on with the managerial merry-go-round Nada good morning to you how are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Um, what's the best available job in the Premier League at the moment if you're a, an aspiring manager oh, oh, oh. who believes you can have an impact? Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know. I think given the fact that if I had to make these changes this late in the season, it maybe suggests that things aren't as good as they need to be. And then you could say maybe like Chelsea, the team that have great aspirations of winning things going forward, but we don't even know what they look like next season. And then the Spurs element as well. How does that look? And then Leicester City, they're, they're far better in theory of the football club than where they're at at this moment position-wise. So you need to know that they're going to be in the Premier League to be optimistic and think that's a good job. So ultimately, all three of them are tough, tough situations to come into. So I don't know. I think it's a good question. The the Chelsea situation, just to, to start with that one, where they they aren't quite clear what they're trying to do at a corporate level and that's having an impact on the number of players they've signed. We're told today that Chelsea can't have their first team change in the changing room at the same time because the room isn't big enough. Is that credible? Is that is that a, is that a real thing, do you think? Um, I think it could be a real thing because most first team change rooms probably house around 25 people. So for them, they probably have a few more. Sorry, they have more than that. And they've got the like supplementary young players that come through as well. So I do believe there is a chance that that is true. And that is a bit awkward because usually when somebody comes, it's because someone else has left. But they've got such a large amount of signers at this moment in time that that's the unfortunate situation for them. And it's just a shame that for some people, you know the writing's on the wall when you're the person that can't change first. But that's that's the way football goes, I, I guess. Um there is a chance that could be real and they've played themselves into that situation but then what I'd say about Chelsea as well 
They've also got a dressing room for people who go on loan who aren't going to play for the first team, um, people who are, don't have ambitions of that and so on and so forth. So they do have a lot of players. And it's just crazy that now they've got too many players because volume and signings for Chelsea tends to be a standard thing, to be honest. Not great for team spirit slash morale slash togetherness or I've got your back. It's like, oh, hang on, that you, you're in my seat. Yeah, um, I suppose that's the thing. If you were If you were there... And somebody new came in and they took your seat. I think that's a bigger offense than say you going on loan somewhere and then coming back and seeing someone's seat. Someone's now in your seat. And team spirit is one of those. Like it matters more so when things aren't going well. Cause when things are going well, everybody's happy. Everybody's in a position. And this sort of locker room situation, you could potentially have it as more of a joke. It's like, Oh gosh, I can't believe you took my seat. Oh, I'm just going to go and change out here. But all of a sudden when the team's not winning and you're not playing, it's actually a huge insult. So. I think you've made a good point about team morale, but then that's ultimately the way that most teams would be if they weren't winning too many games. Can that turn toxic pretty quickly, Nathan? Because let's be honest, like, there's a lot of egos in, in, in any football dressing room, especially that, that Chelsea one with the names you see. Um, and I know you, when you, you were at Queen's Park Rangers when there were a lot of players on that squad. And it's not exactly a similar situation, but it's not dissimilar either. Is that a difficult thing over time? Does, does a bit of toxicity build up? Um, I think it can do, but I think the way that recruitment's done now, like I think they try and find people who'd be disappointed if they're not playing, but not necessarily find people who would spread that disappointment and take something away from the team. Like I think clubs are getting better at sort of removing that one toxic person because it's fair enough that, you know, someone can be down and negative if they're not playing and so on, but do they bring more people with them? Do they make it sort of, you know, the us versus them? Do they create a little group against the manager? Not every club is in that situation where that's the case. That's why I went through a little bit at QPR. And to be fair, Man City and other places as well. But I think it's about recruiting the people as well as just the players. Because, you know, at the very top, everybody wants to play and everyone believes that they can play. So if people are happy to walk into training ground, no, they're not playing. I think it misses the point. But it's just about how do they react from there. Because for some, they revert to hard work. But if they've got the wrong type of person, then before you know it, they, re- they decide to choose destruction. And as a consequence, you know, managers end up potentially losing their jobs and there's a real sort of sad feeling when you arrive at the training ground, which shouldn't be the case when you're playing, uh, or sorry, when you've got one of the best jobs in the world. Are teams getting better at finding out about the character of, of players or, like, you, you kind of have to go back to underage coaches to get that type of information and even then they need to trust you to tell you the truth about somebody. Actually, you know what, he's a brilliant footballer but he's, he can be a bit of an asshole sometimes. Um, how, how, do you, how do you scout that information, the kind of intangibles? Um, so, firstly, I think this has happened for a long time but there's a lot of, like, reference work. You know, a manager might speak to another manager, they'll speak to other members of the football club, they'll ask players to speak to their teammates and also like international teammates and alike. And there is quite a lot of work that goes into it. You know, a lot of the scouting departments, it's more than just a case of seeing how somebody performs at a World Cup and deciding, well, that skill set's going to work for us. But then I think the where it falls down, and this is a big divide between a manager signing a player and a football club signing a player, because a manager might just know someone and like someone, but they know about their flaws. Whereas for the team themselves, they're thinking about signing someone that's going to be there for four, five, six years. So they need it to fall in line with the values of the football club. But when the manager gets final say and say first option, whoever he wants, then sometimes they'll just go down that road. But then all of a sudden, what happens when the, ma- when the player that the manager signs is now left in a club where the manager's left? Are they going to be as productive and positive as somebody who was signed in the bigger picture who wants to play for the club as opposed to the manager themselves? So I think there is research that is there. They do speak to absolutely everyone. And if Man City are the example that I can you know reference pretty well, but they do years worth of research into players not just on the field stuff but off the field stuff so they know 
what the type of person is when they walk into the football club because they know that ultimately to be successful it only takes one or two people going in the wrong direction for everything to fall apart and for them it seems like overall overall I stress overall because they've obviously been one or two exceptions overall they've done pretty well with that I'd say I feel a little bit sorry for Graham Potter in the, in the way it's ended, but a lot of people kind of saw that the writing on the wall, they, they thought this was going to be a difficult position. I was fascinated later me yesterday to, to read about um, these this, this idea that Todd Bowley and Baghdad Iqbali, the Chelsea co-owners, have concerns about someone like Julian Nagelsmann, who's only 35, because of his age. Would that be an issue in addressing room that, that for Chelsea players that might look around and say, well, he's 35, so does that take away some of the, the authority that, that he might have? Um, I think the authority will come if he's being supported by the board and being supported by the senior players within the group because the age itself, you know, I've seen managers who are 50, 60 years of age who don't have the, any sort of authority over players as well because they're just a little bit soft and they don't have the backing of the board themselves. So when they come in, they're essentially just a puppet as opposed to being somebody who can dictate what the way the direction the club's going to be going in. So I think for Nagelsmann, yes, he's 35, but we know we know him already because of two jobs that he's already done. And, you know, this this contentious sacking at uh, Bayern Munich, but you still had them on, for, I think, for a treble. So he's clearly not the worst manager in the world. And his age, you know, it might be a factor. But when he walks in there, as a player, for me, you always see how they carry themselves. You see the training sessions they put forward. You see the ideas that they want to implement. And you see whether they're able to make their vision come into reality by the way that they coach you as a player and as a team. And if they're doing that well, you never really get so concerned about the age that they're at because, you know, there are older managers who are failing. So, no, let's not necessarily say somebody will fail because they are young. In the same way that I think for Potter, he was always in a tough position because people were doubting him before he even started working there because he said, well, he's not been here, he's not been there. Well, realistically, if the players that they have are really good professionals, then does the history of the manager matter? Or is it more a case of trying to instill or listen to what he's saying to try and get them to play how he wants? And as a consequence, you know, a lot of people expected him to fail, which I think is quite a tough position to be in. And I think his role and his moment in football history was very important because that blueprint in terms of going through the ranks and then arriving at a club like that now feels that a little bit further away for the next person who's going to try and do it because from when they arrive, they'll expect you to fail now, just like Graham Potter did. And that's tough because at the end of the day, they haven't been great. But you look at the last game against Aston Villa, which they lost, and they had enough chances to win the game. But still they lose, so now he's lost his job and maybe has a big reaction to that game. But it's not the worst football that's ever been seen. And on a different day, they probably win the game, but because they missed chances, before you know it, he's finding his, finding his way out of Chelsea. Yeah, and we were talking a bit about this in, in the build-up to the Villa game and the, uh, the aftermath. Arteta went through difficult periods, but learned on the job and had the backing of the entire operation. There was definitely noise around Arteta that potentially he was going to be in trouble, but the the Cronkies and the the relevant people squashed it pretty quickly and the noise disappeared. It just feels like at Chelsea they don't really know how to manage the media and any of the noise around it and um it it doesn't really feel like they know what they're doing and that kind of transmitted itself a little bit to Potter having too many players. Yeah. Um I would say that's fair. I think the way that they did the transfer business last summer is a bit different to how they did it in January and I think they've got two sort of director-type roles which have come in there, which are going to try and make things a bit simpler. But ultimately, I think some of the owners who are within the um, football club now, this is all very new to them. Some of the other sports that they're in are different. But as I say, this is new, so they need as much sort of like advice and guidance as they can find. And I think there are one or two people who are capable of helping them make those decisions going forward now. 
But I was finding out yesterday, interestingly, so Todd Bowley feels like he's the front and centre of it all, but he doesn't make those big decisions. There are other people, because he's part of three, I think, that do make those calls. But he's just the most visible one. I think if the other two people turned up, none of us would really know who they are. But I think in time, they'll learn to understand that visibility is a big thing within football and sort of explaining decisions and why a club's doing this and why a club's doing that to make it seem like you really have a true grasp of what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, they must have some sort of idea. So they're not managing this moment very well at all, but it's still very early within their tenureship. And what I would say was we're always wondering when he would get sacked because that kind of sets the tone for what's to come next. And they don't want to, it didn't seem to me like they wanted to be like uh, Abramovich was, whereby if you didn't win a trophy, out you go. But still, this performance has led to them being in the spot. And what I would say is a comparison for Arteta, in my opinion. The fact that Arteta played a lot of games for Arsenal meant that he probably was given more time than, say, someone else would have done. When you look at the likes of Emery and the like, who didn't do that bad a job there. But for Arteta, because the club is essentially in his heart as such, and he can explain to the fans and to people what it actually means and what he's trying to go for before you know he's given time and in times leading to them potentially winning the Premier League this season so I think every situation is slightly different it is, it is. It's, it's a fair point and he also had the kind of uh, the impact of having worked under Pep as part of his CV so he's been at a super club he knows what it takes he's been involved in match day when, when Potter came out and said he'd never been to a Champions League game it was like Maybe don't say that. You don't have to tell us all your truth all the time. There's there's bits that you can keep back a little bit, and that that's private between you and. Let's wait and see what happens because he's actually doing okay in the Champions League. It turns out, you know, they've they've got Real Madrid, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Can I ask you? Brendan Rodgers isn't getting linked with the Spurs job at the moment. He's not getting linked with the Chelsea job, even though he, he has um, a track record at the club. And for me, that doesn't make that much sense. Is there something? that we don't really understand is, is is are there bad reports coming from players or something that's preventing owners from going shopping with Brendan Rodgers mm, that's a good question because I did I did wonder that myself and having been someone you know that he's played that he's coached Liverpool and he did a pretty good job there obviously didn't necessarily end the way that he wa- would have wanted it to end and then he's won an FA Cup with uh, with Leicester City came close to getting them in the Champions League, you'd think his stock would be quite high, but unfortunately, I think the way that their season's going at this moment in time just means that he's not being spoken about in the way, say, he was 18 months ago when he's being linked with the like Man United job and things like that. But I think, as we all know ourselves, those initial reports about who's linked and so on and so forth, they're so early that most of them like tend to miss the mark. Unless the appointment happens instantly, it misses the mark. Whereas for now, I'm getting a sort of vibe that maybe one or two of these club situations will be fully dealt with coming the summer, and I think once he's had some time away, I think you might see his name start appearing more there. And they can probably understand that he's got a more clearer picture in terms of what he wants to achieve and how he believes he can help the club um, achieve their own objectives as well. So I think he'll be in work next season. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was for um, maybe Spurs, I think. That's the way I'm thinking at this moment in time. But yeah, for now, I think most of us seem just looking for some element of just like short-term stability. And then when the summer comes, just kick in with a long-term goal. And I think Brendan Rodgers could definitely do that. Now, but I suppose the likes of Rodgers has to wait and see. Like We've, we've talked about the, the Harry Kane situation, whether or not he's still going to be there next season, but also whether or not Spurs get top four. So like, is someone like Brendan Rodgers looking at what's happening at, in North London and thinking, well, I wouldn't mind waiting and seeing at the end of the season. But it's a risky one well, as well, Liam, because jobs might not be available. Yeah, exactly. You you just you really don't know. But I think whoever's going to be coming in there in the summer might have a little idea 
like at this point that they could be potentially being linked and they might hope and wish that they make the top four and that, that Harry Kane stays and the like. But the fact is the job is still an enticing job. I think if everything was solely dependent on that, then we'd have issues because teams do not qualify for the Champions League every year. And for some of these big clubs who are striving to be successful, there are two sides to this because some people say, oh, why would Bellingham go to Liverpool if they don't qualify for the Champions League, so on and so forth? Well, the answer is it's because it's Liverpool. And secondly to that, you can either come in at a point where a club is qualified for the Champions League or you come in and it's like the project now is to get us back to where we were. The project now is to make us great. And I think that's just as enticing for some managers and players than, say, what people would like to believe. So I think for Brendan Rodgers, if it ends up that they don't qualify for the Champions League and he's linked with there and he gets the chance to go, he'll genuinely believe he can go there and help them qualify for the Champions League and win a trophy for the first time, I think, in 15, 16 years. So I don't think that stuff is as conditional as we maybe think. And you made a good point, though. At the end of the day, work is work. So if you can find it, then there's no reason to turn it down, is there? Uh, uh, Brendan Rodgers feels a little bit to me like in the Eddie Howe uh, territory where Howe took such a long period of time out of football and waited and waited and waited and waited. And the situation that he, he comes back into in, in Newcastle, in a way, is, is perfect. But he did take a team down and managed to get that off his CV in a way, Leicester aren't going to go down yet. And if they do, it now won't officially be Brendan Rodgers' fault or responsibility. So maybe there just needs to be a little bit where his reputation uh, gets less uh, imprisoned by the moment. And we look back on, you know, bringing a Liverpool team from a desperate situation to a point where they were very close to winning a title. Winning a title with, Celtic, you know, Champions League football and all that, that understanding of, of, of that. And I just do, I agree with you. I think it might actually be better for him if Harry Kane is gone and they're not in the Champions League next season because then he can be the one who turns that situation around. Um, one last question about Arsenal and the way things are going at the moment. Um, the win at the weekend was really important because you've seen what Manchester City have done and it's against a Liverpool team and there's a big statement for you. And you just come out and you just do your business. That, In a way, it's almost one of the most impressive Arsenal performances that we've seen. Yeah, it certainly was. But then I think to a certain extent, that's more so with us from the outside overreacting to the game that kicks off so early because like, all the pressure's now on Arsenal. But they still had a five-point lead. You know, even if they would have uh, drawn that game, then at the end of the day, there's still, you know, that six-point gap or whatever. So I wouldn't... It's, it, let's just say it makes a big deal because a lot of noise has been made about, oh, they would have asked Arteta before the game, what do you think after seeing that first game? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? But ultimately, the the game, oh, sorry, the title, it's in their hands. They can, Man City can win every game this season in the Premier League that's left and still lose the title. That says a lot about how good Arsenal have been. And I think for Arsenal, they've been fantastic. I think they've won their last five, six league games in a row. And to a certain extent at times, they've won them quite comfortably. And that game there, seeing Gabriel Jesus back playing through the middle, scoring two goals, the noise at uh, the Emirates in terms of the crowd going off, like they know there's a good feeling there and they're so, so close to the end. And watching Man City win is always going to be stressful. But at the end of the day, one of the sides is going to watch, have, watch the other team win anyway. So it makes you think, well, it's this must-win game is now a must-win game now. Like nothing really changes from that standpoint. But it's a great reaction. The fans saw it. 60,000 fans saw them play well, score four goals and just give that energy back and just disregard what came before. And that's what they need to do, I think, through now the end of the season if they want to win the title. Barring that game against City at the end of April, just win your games and you don't have to worry about what Man City are doing. And that's a great position to be in at this time of year because most of the teams don't have that luxury. 
Nilam is a final one for me. Uh, as a defender, you'd have come across uh, a lot of strikers who have engaged in, in dark arts over the years. And, and we were talking this morning on the show about Harry Kane and, and the reaction to the De Curry incident last night where he goes down like a sack of spuds, really. He goes down quite easily, albeit it probably was a red card. Um, what's, what's your take on, on that, those Kane incidents where he, where he appears to go down quite easily? And also... I guess over here it's difficult for us. Like the English media reaction, is it different? Is Harry Kane treated differently because he is the England captain? Um, perhaps a little bit, yeah. I think there are certain individuals, say pundits and so on, who might sort of say, you know, that's that's a bit soft, but they're trying not to go too hard because it is Harry Kane. And for me, that's his game. Like he wins so many free kicks and causes so much of a stir on the field. But it's the gamesmanship that gamesmanship that he's that he's learned across the years, and at the end of the day, if we want it to stop, it's down to the referees because you know Jack Grealish gets a lot of grief for winning so many free kicks. Harry Kane feels like he wins just as many, and it's usually really soft things. And like Harry's a, is a big guy, but he wins so many free kicks, and it's through just little things, little nudges, slowing down so somebody like pushes him over and stuff, and that's the way he plays the game. It's no surprise that say he went down when he was touching the face, but that's just as I say that that's who it is, and he can be frustrated by it. And for me, he went down, but the just like to see him just get back up because if it's a red, it's a red. The ref would have seen it, the video assistant referee would have seen it as well, and they wouldn't have unlikely changed the outcome mm. because he didn't stay down. So that's who he is. I think people have to get used to it, and I think a lot of people do like Harry Kane, so they do try and give him an element of the benefit of the doubt. Say, oh, he went down easy, but it's still a red card. But unfortunately, this is the way football is. This is the way it's refereed, and this is how he plays the game. He's obviously England's top goal scorer, top goal scorer for Spurs, so he's very much revered. So, listen, it's not going to change anytime soon, unfortunately. <laughs> Nadim, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, thank you. It's Nadim Anua giving us uh, some thoughts on the football situation at the moment. Uh, there is an interesting slate of games tonight. If um, if you're unaware, there's loads of Premier League action this evening, and obviously they'll be keeping you up to date on uh, how the games go so tonight it's Bournemouth at home to Brighton and we think that Ferguson's going to be back in the first team squad they said that uh, they would wait and see but they've been talking about him in a way that would suggest he is Leeds are at home to Nottingham Forest which is obviously a bit of a six pointer Leicester are at home to Aston Villa will there be a new manager bounce for Leicester when they don't actually have their new manager Maybe because sometimes Is there freedom from yeah the atmosphere can get toxic if players who didn't like Rogers being there all of a sudden free up. They're all the seven forty five kickoffs. Of course, if if they'll win that, they're looking up. And then obviously the big game tonight is Chelsea at home to Liverpool. And again, that whole point: is there a new manager bounce when you don't have a new manager? Are this, the team suddenly going to take charge? And it was it was Potter who was holding them back. Mm. All those chances they're creating suddenly become goals, and they win seven nil. All of a sudden, thirty four players don't have a manager. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think in a smaller squad, probably the manager leaving is a good thing. But this one is just complicated, isn't it? Bruno Salter popping in. It's going to be an interesting game. But uh, two teams two teams with a bad weekend behind them. So one of them has to kind of bounce back. It, it could be a draw. Like One of those games that could be a draw. Like Liverpool need to win, though. Uh, 16 minutes past nine this morning. Here are some highlights on the OTV Podcast Network for you today. Monday Night Rugby with Fiona Hayes and Jerry Thornley. A new episode of The Football Pod and a new episode of Koi Gig. You can follow off the ball across our social channels and make sure you subscribe to the OTV Podcast Network. After the break, Matt Williams previews Leinster Leicester in the uh, Champions Cup. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.
So Leinster play Leicester on Good Friday in the Aviva. I'm delighted to say Matt Williams is with us to help preview the game. Matt, good morning to you. How are you going on? Good morning, Jim. Morning, Shane. Very, very good, mate, as always. Fingers crossed the weather's slightly better and we get to see Leinster play more of their natural game against Leicester on Friday. Um, where where are Leinster at at the moment? Because it's difficult after a game like that where you're so heavily favourites against a team who you definitely have the number of and you're just getting all your players back into your system. So there was a little bit of uh, dirty diesel that they had to get out of their system and then just as the game wore on, the, the cream rose to the top. So what what as a coach are you looking for this week to get them slight beat higher than they were against Ulster? You described it very well, Joe. I was watching the match and um, a few of the old mafia of, of Leinster players and staff, there was a few texts and one of them, a great mate of mine, Bertie Igo, says, uh, you know, they're, they're very slow out of the blocks. They, they're not together. And if, if, if we consider Leinster's last few months, and the last time that group played in a blue jersey was January. So it's understandable, uh, and not only understandable, it's to be expected that they came into that match uh, not mentally unprepared. They would have been very much looking forward to it and and keen after the, the joys of the Six Nations and the Grand Slam. But there's a whole lot of things they had to overcome, the, the emotions of the Grand Slam, getting their head back into it, back into the Leinster system, back playing again uh, in, in the Leinster system, although it's almost identical to the Irish system, but it's just different, and, and that takes a bit of time. But you could see as the game went on, the confidence was there, the class was there, the determination was there, and, and it moved forward. And I think Leo would be um, – I think he'd be delighted with the last – Two games, not just not just the last game uh, against Ulster, but the game prior to that against the Sharks at the RDS, which was one of the ballsiest, bravest draws I have ever seen. And I, I, I think Leo um, would be absolutely delighted with the with the determination the younger guy showed and the older guy showed that say to this team. The, 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 the team that ran out against Ulster and will run out against Leicester, that there's something behind the club that is driving it forward. And that is, a, you know, that is an anger from what happened to them last year and a drive to get it right. And the fact that Sexton's not there uh, is obviously a major blow. But I do think it's also a driving factor to say, well, we've got to overcome this. And obviously Josh Van is not going to be there this week. But I, I think for the motivation and the drive and the fact that it's in Dublin, uh, again, and they know the finals in Dublin, but hopefully a semi-final as well. They've got a whole lot of pluses to keep fighting for. In a week like this, again, where they are favourites against a Leicester side who they managed to beat at the same stage of the competition last year, uh, it's not. It's not a question of complacency. It's just a question of making sure that you're inflicting. You're the ones doing the the controlling of the the game flow. So, what are you focusing on um, as a group and as a team? Is it just fundamentals? Is that all you can do in a week like this? Is just make sure that the scrum is good, the line is good, our restarts are good, your skills are good, and then after that, we're gonna we know exactly what we're trying to do here. Pretty much, uh, the money was six day turnaround. They drew the Friday evening, which is you know it still it throws your week out. That that twenty four hours is is crucial, um, and I, I I think what lends to do better than just about anyone since at club level since Joe Schmidt's time is they get that their week's preparation very, very uh, accurate, as in their work, 
the the rest to work ratio. So they're peaking and feeling at their best for Friday night. These guys have had a long year. They 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 you know the, the majority of that team has just won a Grand Slam, as I said. So they're still match fit. They don't have to worry about that. They've just got to get there. That the difference between Leinster playing brilliantly and playing average is getting the ball in front to your hands or getting the ball back to your shoulder. If the ball's back here, they don't play brilliantly. If the ball's here, their system just clicked. And there's another part to that, which is shutting down uh, what Leicester do, which is an aerial game, a very strong kicking game, and a very dominant forward pack. So like all these big games, it's going to be the boys up front that get the get the domination, get the lay down the platform. And if they lay down the platform, it'll make Jamison Gibson Park and Ross Burns roll so much more, uh, I wouldn't say easier, but it'll allow them to be more effective. And if they're effective, uh, then I'll get that back line and the whole attack going. So the, the, you, you're right. There are some basics, and obviously a set play is, is part of it, but it's just the difference of success is, is is literally a few millimetres and centimetres between where the passes go. And it, it was a wet day. You could see a lot of the passes were back on that inside shoulder. So if you're getting a pass on your inside shoulder, you have to wait. Whereas if, if what Leinster do really well is get a pass out in front, they accelerate onto the ball, get their footwork going, they're, they're a handful. You mentioned the fundamentals there, uh, Matt, of, of the Leicester Tigers team, like the kicking game and winning the aerial contest and that sort of thing. And Wigglesworth has, has put his stamp on the team as well since he's come in, but... Is it just more difficult for a team to do that when when you're away from home? Like a, Leicester Tigers at Welford Road, for example, would be a, a much different prospect to, to, to perhaps this Friday. Oh, I'm just showing you your spot on. There's been so many um, studies done on this home and away uh, success rate, and and because it does, it's not not a rugby thing; it's a sports thing across across um, both genders, the men and women's game. If you're at home, you, your chances of success are exponentially higher than, than when you're on the road. And that's just a human thing. It's just the psychology of it. Um, and they've tried, the, so many sports psychs have tried to define it and change it, and it's just how we're wired. Uh, we, you know, we, we come home, we relax when you're in your own home. We use that word, our ground, we say, well, that's our home. So you come in and it's familiar, It's it's got the ring of uh, success about it when you talk about the Aviva or the RDS to, to Leinster. Because they've been successful there as a club and as a, as with their national national team as well, so there is a huge huge advantage of being at home. The other one is you don't have to get on a plane, you don't have to be in a hotel. All these little wearying things that that do drag you back. Uh, as I'm sure, if you talk to the Munster boys after being forced to go to uh, South Africa last week and then come home, and uh, those poor blacks just be shattered. In, in that travel. So there are a number of physical factors to it, but it's just that feeling, that security. You know, it doesn't guarantee you anything, but Leicester away definitely is, is a much uh, less daunting task than going to Warford Road, which is one of the toughest places in the in club rugby in the world to go. Having said all that, the, the way Leicester play um, is not a style of rugby I'm a fan of. Uh, I think it's a, a, an awful way of playing the game, but I also have to admit it's highly effective. Uh, the kicking game, which we go back a few years and contesting, it takes out um, the need to have an organised offence. You're going forward through the boot, so you don't have to get organised like Leinster and the Irish teams are trying to do so correctly and the French teams where you're putting the ball through a series of passes to create space then attack space. You're not creating the space because the space is behind the defensive line, you're just attacking it with a kick. It's 
awful to watch, but it's 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 effective. So if you don't deal with that, uh, as in the high ball, if you don't deal with the kicks well and you give the opposition the ball back or you make errors on it, that invites them into the game. So I guess it comes back to Jer's original question, what do you have to do? Um, you have to impose yourself on the game. We hear that often. What does it mean? If you get your game plan going against your opposition, what's your plan in defence and what's your plan of attack? If you get that going and can impose it on the opposition, you'll win that game. And Leinster are the best or one of the best in the world at club rugby of imposing their game on the opposition. And again, if we come back two weeks ago when you had the, the younger players and some of the old warriors in there against the Sharks at 17-0 down, how did they get in that game? They imposed themselves and their game plan on the opposition with some absolutely inspirational, desperational, desperational defence. Uh, and that, that's part of their plan, but they never beaten, they never quit, they don't know how to lose, and they just kept going at it. So all those factors add up to, to denying Leicester um, that kicking game, which is awful, as I said, but it is effective. I, I know that, obviously... The replacement of Sexton is a distributed thing and his leadership needs to be distributed amongst the pack and uh, everybody else. But there will automatically be focus on who fills the 10 jersey. And it's clear that the role of understudy is at the moment. uh, We know who that is. Having said that, uh, Crowley was picked at the weekend for Munster and is probably going to play 10 for the rest of the season from their perspective and you know how they go in the, the rest of the URC will probably define how close he gets to being second choice but it's right there at the moment for Ross Byrne if he puts in 3-4 weeks of good quality he's going to be our number 2 10 in the World Cup and there's a lot of game time for that player given Sexton's injury profile so um, it's fair to say this is a big out few weeks for him it, it- absolutely is a massive few weeks for Ross. Um, I've been a big supporter of Ross Byrne over the years. I believe in the young man. I just admire how he's handled himself over the last few years. The, you know, he was – when they were beaten by uh, – Ireland were beaten by England in the warm-up game, World Cup warm-up game in Twickenham four years ago. The entire country blamed him. And wrongly, it was the forwards. The forwards was one of the worst displays by Irish forward pack I've experienced in the professional era. I, I can't recall a worse one. They were absolutely annihilated, and everyone blamed the ten. Now he didn't play well, really. Like if you if you're winning, if you're a ten and you're playing well, you go. You always think the the, the nine guys in front of you, the, the pack and your nine, are the reason you're doing well because they're giving you time and space. He had no time and space. Didn't hear him complain. He didn't, didn't point the finger. He got dropped. He got ridiculed. Everyone said, you know, you finished. I, I would go to Dublin. People would say things, uh, how poor he was to me, and I, I would try and defend him, saying, look, the, the young guy will come back. And how he's reconstructed himself and how he's gone about grabbing his second opportunity is really admirable and I think inspirational to us all. Now, Ross, no one is going to be Johnny Sexton. No one, because Sexton's an all-time great. Right, you're going to have a in any sport, whatever they are, any team sport, you the person that's behind or replacing one of the all-time greats is is never going to be as good. It's not possible. That doesn't make Ross Byrne a poor player. As I said, if Ross Byrne had an Australian grandmother, he would have sixty or seventy caps for the Wallabies right now. But Sexton, for so long, has been such a dominant player that Ross hasn't had 
the opportunities that are in the green jersey. Now, the thing that's changed about Ross Byrne is his attitude. When Ross Byrne came on the field there in the in the Six Nations, he had he, his eyes changed. And I, I was at the Virgin Media Studio, and I'm, I'm pointing at it, saying to Shane Byrne and, and uh, uh, Shane Horgan, uh, rather, and Robbie Carney and Andrew Trim. I said, I'm saying, look at Ross, look at his eyes, look, look at him. And man, he was angry, he was desperate. And and Robbie Carney said he knows the next 20 minutes might determine his next five years. Now, what what a brilliant observation from Rob. And Berm went out there and he was angry, he was demanding. Before the Italian game, he was speaking, he was he was the leader, even though he wasn't captain. And I think he he knows this. He knows he's got a second shot at the title. And I think he's grabbing it with both hands. He's not going to be as good as Johnny Sexton. So let's not let's not get there. Let's not even bother comparing him. He just has to be competent and get the team around the field, which I know he is. And here's the other part. I hope the guy does really well because he's he's been really unfairly treated by the, the sporting community and I've spoken about it very poorly. And he's, as I said, he's conducted himself in a really fabulous manner. And I, I hope he goes out and shows what he can do. Again, let's drop our expectation. He is not going to put in a performance like Sexton. Because he's not sexy, and no one else is on the planet. You've got to go down to Barrett and Richie Moonga and perhaps Entomac over in uh, France to start saying who are we comparing them with. But that does not mean that he is not a very, very uh, uh, highly uh, competitive professional player. He is. He's going to face uh, Pollard, the Springbok 10, who is, is nowhere near as good a ball carrier and passer as Ross Byrne. Ross Byrne is far superior. Pollard is a magnificent kicker of the ball, mm. magnificent kicker of the ball. So we have two very contrasting uh, tens on Saturday. Um, but in my opinion, Byrne is better than him in one of those departments. So let's just see where the guy goes. I hope he can do it. I believe he will. Big, big few weeks for him. One last question then. Uh, Josh van der Fleer is out, right? And uh, Scott Penny was in the, in the squad last week and has played very well and is kind of his natural successor at Leinster and, and many people think Ireland as well. But... Is there a world in which we have some experimentation and see somebody new playing at seven? Like we, we've seen Peter Mahoney play for the Lions at seven, even though it wasn't really part of his uh, his makeup. Strange things happen, I guess, is what I'm asking. Is there a world in which maybe we see Caelan Doris or Conan shift over just for a bit of experimentation's sake? You know, in a World Cup, you might need something like this. Yeah, I, 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 the answer to that is yes. Um, I'm pretty certain uh, Leo is only looking at the next 80 minutes. Like he's not thinking about a World Cup. He, you know, that this Leinster team, mate. I, I, I think if, to, to answer that question, we've got to come back. They're angry about what happened last year against Lara Shaw. They're hurt. That, you know, I, I have very, very rarely seen players as deeply affected by a defeat as as Leinster were on that day. Uh, and, and Leo, who I know well, I coached him for four years. You know. They were dragged down into into dark places that I, I know where they they had to go, but I don't want to ever go there again as a person. Like it 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 rips you apart. They were ripped apart. The only way to get over that is to win. They, they'll never get that back. That's over. That's history. The only thing you can do to heal yourself is to win. And these guys are on a mission to do that. And you look at the draw. You look at the quality of the teams about. It's going to be really hard to do. It's a high quality. A series of quarterfinals coming up here and obviously going to be high quality going forward. So Leo is only focused on beating 
Leicester. Full stop, end of story. Don't go past that. What he will do, he could pick Jack Cunningham. And that's something I thought. What Leo is, is probably the best coach I've ever seen at club level uh, in my lifetime is selections and getting his selections right. So whether he picks Penny, uh, or who I have to say has been absolutely superb over a fair swathe of this season, but hasn't got the opportunity because of the quality of the Leinster back row, uh, is he will know who's the best person for that. He will know who's going to do the job for him that he needs to do. But what a really good dilemma, having a line in Conan and someone who played so superbly for Ireland uh, when he was called upon in the last uh, in that last game there, that beautiful, beautiful pass he delivered for the Grand Slam winning try. Having that dilemma, do I play him or do I play Penny, who's a highly experienced guy and playing in great form? Um, either way, whoever's yeah. on the bench is going to pay a, have a period of time on the field. First world problems, the kids say these days, Matt. Great to have you yeah, with us. Yeah, that's it, mate. <laughs> Thanks a million. Cheers. Enjoy the game. It's Matt Williams there giving us a preview of the uh, Leinster-Leicester game. It's 9.36 this morning. Uh, Brendan Rogers' is Pochettino with an Antrim accent, says ML89. Good manager, just missing something. Yeah, Pochettino, uh, you know, did take Spurs to a Champions League final, which uh, nobody's done before or since. So, yeah. uh, Leinster should be in all finals every year. They have a bigger wage budget than the English and French cl- clubs, I think is what you mean, and the main players have their minutes managed. They have been slight failures because of this, says Peter M., I've seen people make the case about the salary caps and the Leinster wage bill, but uh, it's not the same because the Leinster don't have first call on their players the whole time. Mm. It's all, uh, there's also been shots fired, like Dan McFarland was kind of saying all that, that I can't sh- control the demographics and, and all this, and Wigglesworth kind of leaned into that a little bit this week as well. I know Lancaster was kind of asked yesterday, is it disrespectful to Leinster and the work they're doing behind the scenes? Maybe a little bit. Um, from a Leinster perspective, you just hope that hate that Matt... Um, uh, says that they might be holding holding on to from the La Rochelle result last year. You'd hope that that's just not over overarching in their brains that they can get through these next couple of massive games and focus on La Rochelle when they have to. You know, don't don't think too far ahead. Uh, Danny Mac says me they had a big team. Someone tell Tommy Trevor Giles is getting younger looking. Says Griff Ray Orr says I just turned thirty as well. Tommy, congratulations. The hangovers don't get any easier. Can confirm it's true. Dara Tool says, Happy birthday, Tommy. Easily some of the best non answer answers on the crappy quiz. And Cavan Lad 100 says, Cavan could be 12th. No? I mean, they could be, but they might not yet end up. I mean, if they obviously reach a, an Ulster final, then they have to be catapulted into um, somewhere higher than that anyway. Uh, Dennis Ryan says, Dublin first. Jer, stop talking. Someone take Jer's temperature. Brian King, what is Jer smoking? Tipping team from the second tier. Yes. A random team from the second tier because they're all created equal. Limerick, who were bottom of the second tier, and Dublin, who finished top, they're the same. <laughs> yeah, I, don't think, I think the second tier thing is irrelevant. Like Dublin just got relegated last year on a, on, on a whim. That uh, doesn't happen too often, and they're a Division One team. Let's be honest. On tomorrow's show, Chelsea Liverpool reaction, Ireland women's national team versus USA preview, virtual insanity and Masters chat with John Duggan, Vinnie Perth's League of Ireland preview, and plenty more. Right now, Pat Nevin with Joe from last night. Have a tremendous Tuesday. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.